then it's something there where you yeah. know you need Some something like oh gosh tomorrow like our tax working on a film TV show and we need to have some clients come in and do something at the studio. It's August 11th, 2022. We're here in Studio Two at Sunset Sound. It's an amazing day today. It's something we've been working on for a few months, and I'm extremely excited. Phil, are you excited? Oh, yeah. Paul? Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm excited, too. What's the surprise? <laughs> You'll get your moment to talk in a moment. There's a gentleman that's Who's coming? <laughs> this gentleman to my right started as a runner here at Sunset Sound Indeed, in the yeah. late 80s. Yeah, I, 88, I want to say. Now he's went on to be a multiple Grammy-winning producer-engineer working alongside T-Bone Burnett, of all people. And for our 60-year anniversary, he's decided to come back to Sunset Sound. And I've been um, really like um, honored to come and do this, too, because I, I take the pedigree I have from here very seriously. It's, that, it means, means a lot. Well, thanks for being here, Mike. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm, I'm honored. honored. That's so special. I mean... We, we want to talk about the studio, but we want to learn about yourself as well. You're, are you yeah. from Los Angeles? Uh, no, I'm from the South. Oh, really? Where about? Orange County. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Oh, that South. Yeah, that's a, that's a long. It south. might as well be these days. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah uh, from the times two parents moved here, grew up down there, and I actually still lived down there for God it was at least a year after I was hired here. Oh, you were commuting? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't think I remember. Yeah, that. and um, after a while, I saw like, okay, <clears throat> I got to move because this is too much. This is know? killing me. Even with the off hours, I think yeah. I worked ten to seven yeah. when I was a runner, and yeah. even those off hours, it was uh, brutal. Yeah, I lasted a year and then moved. Did you have um, parents that were musicians or involved in um, music at all? Well, you know, because you started playing drums when you were a kid, right? I was—I mean, I started in a in a crib, wow. playing bongo drums. I have a picture of me. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, my dad was more—you um, know—ex uh, marine, um, went to law enforcement, and uh, he was actually a bodybuilder as well. He's sort of a Renaissance guy, but wow. he played uh, the accordion and the keyboards as well. Um, but I don't think that's where any kind of musical anything was, you know, brought out of me. Yeah. I don't think it was from them. And that didn't influence you to pick up yeah, the, the accordion? Yeah, uh, getting a polka band. Or, or a banjo? <laughs> Not band. so much, thank God. But no, I just had an affinity to the drums and uh, had four older sisters, which influenced my musical. They were very into all the, you know, David Bowie, Rolling Stones, um, you know, anything hot in the back in the day and so i would be influenced by the music that they were listening to sure but then i just always had this affinity i just had to play the drums kitchen floor with wooden spoons and oatmeal boxes and you know pots and pans pots and pans yeah oh the the old remember the old gallon ice cream containers with the cellophane on the top was like oh, yeah. a good snare drum and uh, graduated to one of those little toy kits uh, I think I Keith mooned that thing at some point, and then I got like a little beginning drum kit, and then started in school, a fourth grade, uh, playing snare drum. Okay, so you did were that in jazz band mostly and... through. Yeah, yeah, I did stage band. I did uh, the orchestra. Uh, did I, I was in all city band like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, oh, where the whole city, um, you know, had a. You know, like a big stage band, but with somebody legitimately on a drum kit, which was me. So I must have been pretty good, I guess. Yeah, that's and awesome. then I hear you. from there, I just 
you know, kept going. Well, this is, again, very <clears throat> special that you're here. You know, th there's three runners in here right now working, and they want to learn how to be, how to get to your position, how to attain those things. Yeah, well, um, you know, I didn't know a lot when I came here. What sparked the engineering portion of it? You were in um, music and you're playing in bands and yep. stuff, but what brought you well, to... I could quickly walk you through that scenario. Um, you know, was um, in bands and stuff, obviously, through high school. Um, we had a pretty hot band in Orange County back in the day. What's called it called? Contraband. Oh, nice. <laughs> and um, we, um, we would go up to Gazari's and like two, three days a week, and we had a regular gig there this was just like few years after van halen broke there wow and um we were pretty good um like i think that band rat remember that old oh yeah. sure <laughs> like they used to open for us wow. like azari's back the in the day they opened for you guys. yeah 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 wow. um okay. so we we were pretty good and that fell apart so i was in another band and so that was 80s early yeah 80s? yeah mid 80s yeah mid -80s. early 80s yeah probably yeah. early 80s that was pretty hopping on the strip yeah there. it was the old old time you know like right when the hair metal started breaking you know it was sort of when we the band broke up and our manager stole all our money <laughs> you know that kind of thing <laughs> great uh anyway so getting back to your question um so at some point around i don't know like 22 or so i decided like well you know i could try to be a rock star or maybe i should get serious anyway i um as we were talking about sort of embellishing your resume um worked myself into a job at a laboratory in irvine and um, it was a biomedical testing place, and um, I was like a toxicologist there, and <laughs> with no absolutely, you know, on the job training. Anyway, after about three years, I realized like ah, this is not for me, and you know, I was still playing the drums. I still had a band every here and there, <clears throat> and so I decided one day I was living with a roommate, and um, I was I was literally driving home <laughs> from from work. And heard an ad on the radio for um, a recording arts institute. It's up here in Hollywood. Um, they were fairly well accredited and known. Which uh, one was it? I was going to uh, Trebis Institute. Oh, the Trep. Yeah, Trebis. yeah. I was going to oh. say. I, I remember yeah. there was a few guys that were that went to some of them. A lot of the same guys went to the same schools. Yeah, but you were one that went there. I think you were the only one I remember that yeah. we ever hired that went to Trebis. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Miami U. Right. I know a lot of people come yeah. out of there. Um, but yeah, and they were right here on Seward and Sunset. Right. They were like nearly next door to right you. Right around the corner. Yeah. And oh, so um, I left my roommate a note. I said, I'm, I'm going to Hollywood to seek my fame and fortune. And I wrote him a note. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> and uh, I came up and I did an interview at the school. And I remember like sleeping in some flea bag motel overnight. Because uh, next day, like, you know, if you got in, you were going to start getting enrolled and all that. Anyway, two-year program there. Um, didn't know anything. Um, but it, it was fairly comprehensive. I did that for two years. And um, uh, some of my teachers would bring me to the studio at night. Like, they were mixing. And after class, they'd go back and work on their mix and uh, stuff I like remember that. the guy that ran the school was pretty proactive about placing his graduates yeah, in yeah. local studios. Yeah. He would con make the calls himself yeah. and they contact were, people. They so. seemed pretty good. I mean, yeah. from what I knew at the time and can think of now how they did things. But, yeah. but they were serious about training people. They had a good program. 
Um, so I went through that and um, still playing the drums. And um, so once that was over, I, I think I got a job at the Solar Tower. Like they hired me to come in at night and like answer the phones or something. And, oh, wow. Um, and I just put a bunch of resumes out. That was Dick Griffey, Solar Records. Was yeah. Diane Warren's in there now. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, That's cool. So, yeah, and I put a bunch of resumes out, and lo and behold, Craig called me. And I remember literally, be, like, because I would work before, you know, school down there, and then I would come to school, and then I'd go to the studio at night and go back home. Craig was the old studio manager for Craig 33 years. Craig was the studio years. manager, yeah. 33 years. For, yeah. for those time. that don't know, Craig Hubler was a studio yeah. manager at Sunset Sound, 33 years. He passed away three years ago, roughly? Yeah, yeah. like three so years. you get the call. Craig calls you he, and says, hey, come on in here, Mike. He's I responsible like for me really getting my first job in the in the music business, you know, in the studio business. Um, so, um, so he called me and, um, I came in to interview and I didn't know it at the time, but I think he had you know, 17 or 20 something resumes. And I think largely a lot of us were apples and apples. And he, he once told me he picked me because my little side gig that I was supporting going to school, I worked at a, um, a delivery company called Purolator Courier. And we dealt with the lottery tickets, um, gold shipments, you know. So he thought I would be like a trustworthy person. And I think that's why I got to <laughs> that's what it was. And I probably wasn't. <laughs> that's probably was not. But I think he told me that's sort of what weighed the scales in my favor. And uh, yeah, so I started. I started running here. Dropped everything immediately, and like. And that was late '80s. Yeah. Yeah. So you're done with recording school. Craig calls you and you get hired by him. Yeah. Were, how familiar were you with Sunset Sound? Um, you know, not really. Um, huh. Funny enough, I, I was into different musicians, different styles of music. I studied all that. The production part of it was never anything I knew much about. I'd heard of Sunset Sound. I knew it was a big studio, but I really knew nothing about it at all. Did you have crazy. a goal in mind or were you just kind of... Well, uh, I can do this because I'll be. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to tell Paul this, but <laughs> when I started here, my thought, and this is how naive I was, is that because I'm a really good drummer and I've done this all my life, I'll meet people and become a studio drummer. <laughs> a studio musician. And I, that was always my thought was like, I'll just wait for my in, and sooner or later I'll get the right person and, uh, and I'll become a studio drummer. Well, you had to be here in the heyday. That time when Jeff Beccaro was here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He was on all the sessions oh, back man. then. And Keltner. Yep. Jim Keltner, right. who I'm really good friends with still today. Michael Baird, too. Yeah, yeah. right. Oh, my God. Who yeah. Bear? Yeah, I haven't heard or seen I of have, him I don't in know what a happened long time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, it, I was a runner for two and a half years. So... I just basically did my job, learned when I could, <clears throat> and still played in my bands and stuff. And and um, to just skip ahead for a second, the, I was two and a half years later, there was a day I was living in a house with my band, and Craig came to me and said, hey, we need you, We're gonna, we want to move you up. And I had to literally decide, like, drummer or engineer, like, on a day. And I didn't hesitate and you know wow became an engineer i moved out of the band house and like and that was your first assistant gig uh yeah that's when i was officially hired i might have been popped in rooms here and yeah. there just to babysit or Do something you remember or, 
happen to remember what that was? I know my first because you reminded me, but I did know uh, my, commercial, right? My very very first official assisting gig, and I saved somewhere the work order. Yeah, um, was in this room with Dick Marks doing a oh, cornflakes commercial. <laughs> Richard Marks' uh, dad. dad. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he was a long term tenant here as well. He was a tenant he? here. Yeah, yep. And super talented guy. My God, yeah. he was amazing. Yeah, wrote so many like. Yeah, it's Chicago guy. Yeah. What year Which is this is roughly? Um, when I when I got get a bumped up to assistant. Uh, it must have been ninety one. That's amazing that Nirvana was breaking and uh, all that. Yeah. There's such a transformation in music. It's going into yeah. garage rock and alternative yeah. and the Seattle sound. Yeah. And, and you know, just to, um, I know one of the things you and I discussed that you were interested to know was like who influenced me, you know, as engineers and things like that. And, yeah. and it was the guys here, the guys that came before me that really trained me so much. And, and cared. It was we were like a family. So know? it was the staff guys. Yeah, uh, okay. David Glovers, um, Mike Kloster, mm-hmm. um, Stephen Shelton. Remember? Steve? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, those guys. They and Dave Knight. My God. Oh, Dave Knight. Yeah. yeah who? What I know, about David Leonard? Was he around? Uh, yeah, he was around a bit, and um, I, it's still sometimes a project will go. Like I, I just um, send him something to do Atmos mixes of an album I worked on. Oh, you know, because okay. he was where because he's down in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. So it was a T Bone record, and and I I, I don't know I don't want to get into Atmos, uh, but anyway, it was easy to do. So I still see him a bit. I ran into um, him as well at House of Blues. Yeah, I just saw yeah, your yeah. podcast. I go, oh hi, what's your name? He goes, yeah, I'm David Leonard. I yeah, go, yeah, what, yeah. Was was Peggy still here at that? <laughs> no, point of time too? no. She moved on by she, then. No, yeah. but I heard the stories. Craig always talked about her. And um, I never came across her. Then, if here. she was gone, then David would have only been here as a, as a as a guest engineer at that point in time. He would have been independent. Yeah, he was probably yeah. working. Yeah, right. With, I uh, believe that's right. Yeah, that was probably after Matheson, right? Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I so. think David yeah. was a returning alumni. Right. Yeah, but I'm sure I, I did sessions with him. I couldn't say yeah. what. Because he, he left and went to work as a staff engineer at Capitol for a, a few oh. years. Oh, I didn't know that. And then he started coming back as, as, a, as yeah. a client. So Yeah, right. Yeah. Which is what the idea is. He'd bring yeah. back the clients. Well, people would hire him and he'd bring it here because yeah. this is what he knew. Yeah, you know? this was my home for always so Always makes long. you look good when you can come well, back to rooms that and you it's really just know like, well. It's like, uh, you know, well, you... you because one thing I admire about you, because I really love race cars and stuff, but like you got that car, like, and you go to a race and you go in a, a different car that's not yours. It's you're not, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, coming here, you knew all the tricks, all the, you know, and you probably knew the staff guys. You're like, yeah. that's a great assistant. Everything's going to go smooth. Um, right. And so you knew yeah. where to put the drums and how yeah. to mic things and it know, was what we, sweet spots in yep. the room. Yeah, just yeah. every little thing, and you're just comfortable. You've been in here hundreds of times, yeah. and uh, so it's uh, it's great coming back as a returning engineer for sure. You know, how was um, Bruce Bott as an influence for you? Now, um, the Doors. That's a, now that's an interesting question. So um, I knew of him. I don't believe I ever was on a session with him. Um, he wasn't here much during my tenure. But yeah, by then he he you know yeah 
long left Sunset Sound. He yep. would come in sometimes and do some work with Kenny Loggins or something right, like that right. as a guest and engineer. See, and he what, was doing film work then. And a lot of those guys that were here before me, the guys I mentioned that I'm so indebted to for taking me under their wing and teaching me things and showing me how to do everything, um, all those guys, they would get those kind of gigs. You know, major artist, major engineer. I filled a role for quite a while as one who uh, I was sort of like the go-to guy when you, uh, you know, like something pops up and, you know, I got popped in a lot of situations. I also had what I think is the distinctive um, pleasure of um, a lot of times being put with difficult clients that either the staff guys didn't get along with or the clients didn't like one of the staff guys. Uh, I don't want to name names or anything. We could talk later. (laughs) <laughs> but you probably know some of these people. But I ha- I figured out I had a, this great skill at being like a chameleon where I could come in and read the room, read the person, kind of know what they need of me and adapt myself to their needs. And so I would get along with everyone just fine. I would, you know, yeah. just That's a great trade. Yeah. yeah. And it served me really well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really yeah. well, yeah, yeah, and that's I that just came out of me naturally, you know. But but also having some confidence, you know, just doing what I did here for so long. Well, so. you're you're really easy to be around. Yeah, I, I would yeah. think so. Yeah, and I've always and, been. And yeah. I'm a humble guy too. I'm not like I'm not full of myself. I'm uh, um, you know I, I just want to like help and um, you know make sure everyone's happy. Comfortable. That's exactly what I heard about you as well in those yeah. days. You would take initiative to do things like. <laughs> In those days, your father, 2D Camerata, was yeah. running the place as well. Yeah. You took over in 70, 89? 79. Me? Yeah. Yeah, 80. But you're here 80. constantly. Yeah. yeah, I was but here. You, yeah. You yeah. took an initiative to clean like the tape vault out. You'd never be sitting down at any moment. Just... Well, and again, this wasn't necessarily like my character or trait, but for some reason, I had some clarity in my mid 20s when I started here. Um, and I, I would see the, the, some of the other runners that, that were, you know, here alongside of me or, you know, guys that came before. And when they weren't busy, they would sit down in the traffic office with um, Ricky Z. Oh, yeah, Ricky Z. <laughs> we could talk our, about her, too. Our traffic uh, Yeah, girl. and they would sit down and watch, uh, <clears throat> you know, TV and read the trade magazines and things. And, and I was bored. I wanted to, like, do something and be busy. Um, and I always noticed there was trouble locate. People would call for a tape. Always trouble finding that tape, knowing where it was. And we had, remember, the third floor up there was just stocked with tapes. Still have it. D- is it? Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're, Amazing. We're in the midst of um, reorganizing and cleaning it up wow. right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I put together what I called the, the TLMS, <laughs> the Tape Library Management System, and I basically, um, I don't want to say barcode because it wasn't digital, but I, I coded all the tapes with numbers and then made a logbook. And then there was um, columns for, you know, whether it's here, who checked it out, the dates. And so I took the initiative to do that. And, um, and that was a project where, you know, that could go on for a couple months because, you know, I would get busy, have to do things. But then whenever I had spare time, I'd go work on that. Wow, and uh, well, you know. we could use your help right right now. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Have a, you have hey, I might. Have, I might. <laughs> Where's that list? <laughs> I might. I'd love to come back here and do anything. Sweep, sweep the bathrooms out. 
which I had done. Um, and then I remember after that, I don't know why, I would just notice these things that like kept popping up. And so one of the things as the runner was I was responsible for uh, making sure all the mics were logged out and uh, there was like a sheet there. And so I'd come and bust everyone's balls like, hey, you got like 47 number two? I'm like, yeah, well, you didn't sign the sheet. And like, ah, Prasante. Like, eh. but so, <laughs> so I noticed a problem that was happening was, um, I don't know if you still have the mics in all those cubby holes yeah. in there, yeah. but the foam was just getting oh, yeah. old deteriorated. and deteriorated. And I spent a good long time like taking all the mics out, scraping all the old foam out of there, sanding it down, refoaming it, putting everything back together and... So wow. I'd always have a project like that going on that I could do instead of That's sitting awesome. around watching TV. Do you remember getting commended for that by Tootie or um, him noticing it, or you just kind of did it for self-fulfillment? You knew I, the company needed it done? Yeah, you know, it just seemed like um, like my job in a way. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, like be useful, do something, and, you know, make yourself oh, useful. I great guess. attitude. But, yeah, I, did, I don't think I did it for any kind of admiration or anything like that. Do you, what do you remember about Salvador Tutti Camerata. Man. Um, so he would come in from time to time. Um, he was always working on something, a little arrangement. Projects or, or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, didn't have a great amount of interaction, but um, I do remember, uh, you know, passing him. He was always cordial, friendly. Uh, I remember helping him set up the bungalow with the uh, oh, he had wow. like a drum machine out there oh, yeah. and a few right. things. And, the and Prince I, drum machine. Yeah, was it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, crazy. But I had the honor of going and helping set up his room. You know, I guess he was like getting serious, and he, I guess he probably spent some time there. Yeah, that was like his personal use yeah. studio, his office. Um, yeah. But one great thing, and I don't know where it was bore out of or what time during my tenure this happened, but um, I remember him coming up to me and, oh, God, I'm an emotional guy. And I, I loved your dad because, you know. Um, but, um, he came up to me one day (laughs) and he he said, he goes, Mike, you're going to be a good engineer someday. And I was just like, wow. I mean, that was like (laughs) the badge of honor, you know? Yeah. You know, he always thought highly of you. Man, I just, I, it means so much to this day to me that he noticed and said something to me and I don't know what I'd done to be, you know. Uh, yeah. standing out in that way, but it, it meant a really... That's amazing. That meant a lot, yeah. Five seconds that took him to tell you that yeah. made such an impact. Man. 40 years later now, and it's, yeah. you know, that yeah. could have directed you or any of these young guys yeah. in the right way. And confidence. Which, exactly, yeah. As you're coming up, that's... Even when you graduate out of here, I mean, that's something, you know... Yeah. I still get butterflies before sessions, you know. People I've worked with, things I've done at that, and you... Um, and I may need to look at my notes to remember this, but I wanted to, um, <laughs> this, this quote, um, Miles Davis quote, if you're not nervous, you're not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the greatest thing. And I've always felt like That's that. Classic. And I feel like you just take what you're doing seriously enough that it matters, you know, yeah. you know, so, but exactly. that helped give me a lot of confidence, I think. So, yeah. Well, and that's, that's what, Tootie noticed about you. Yeah, yeah. So, and I knew he you were was... doing things without being asked to do them. You just yeah. you just did them because they needed to be yeah. done. Yeah. And so. that, if you want an influence from my parents, that's probably where that came from. That's great. You know, you know that kind of thing. You know, making yourself indispensable. And yeah, 
but not for any reason other than I'm just supposed to do that. You know, yeah. I wasn't trying to like get a leg up or anything. Just like that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. One of these gentlemen told me yesterday you were doing tape editing over at Sound Factory, which Paul and his father obviously own the other studio yep. a couple blocks away. Yeah, yeah, I'd get bounced there quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you remember about uh, tape editing for T Bone Burnett over there? Was he? Would he have you just editing tape? Like, wasn't there like seven tape machines in the lobby or something? I'll, I'll remind you. Yeah. What, what it was. I know I've edited tape many times so, for T Bone, but T Bone had three different projects going on, which was as not he, unusual. As he did, and, yeah. and still, uh, <laughs> you had, as you told me this, huh? You had taken out a small business loan to put together a rig. Yeah. And it was an early version, an early DAW, right? Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if it was Pro Tools or what it was. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, T Bone was over there doing Jimmy Dale Gilmore. Oh, right. And yep. you had been working with him at Sunset on Gillian Welsh. Yeah. Yeah. And in the office over there, we had like four two tracks lined up. Mm -hmm. We had the quarter inch, half inch, yeah. and. And uh, all these mixes and stuff and, and rough mixes from, and you were yeah dumping all that stuff. We had piles, if you remember, yeah, of tapes in front of every one of those machines. Yeah, and you were putting that stuff up while he was working in Studio A. And I yeah. don't know who was. I don't know if you were also assisting on that session. I was, running back and forth. I was on Gillian, and we no, also. No, but I mean, while oh, while yeah, he was worked, doing Jimmy Dale, I did. Gilmore. I was the assistant on Jimmy Dale's record. So too. you were in the office doing that, and when they needed you, yeah. they'd call you back in the other room. Yeah, but you were putting tapes up and doing transfers. Yeah. into your into your rig, and then editing. Yeah. So that's that's what that was about. But uh, yeah, early days with T Bone was. Yeah. Um, you know, was that one of the first times you started work, working um, with him? That was very early on. But yeah. the the first time I worked with him was one of two things. I can't remember which came first. Um, it was either the Wallflowers record. Wow. Um, which Bringing I, down the horse. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't work on that for more than a couple weeks at most, you know, because it was the tail end of the project. Was that in here? Uh, I think it was in three. In three. We really? were doing vocals with Jacob at that point and probably some odd overdubs. It was either that or there was also a film that T-Bone was involved with called uh, The Thing Called Love. And um, it was with um, um, River Phoenix. Oh, wow. And oh, Samantha okay. Mathis, I think. <clears throat> and um, it was one of those times where T-Bone either passed on the project to someone or was working on it remotely, but I know he was working on that. <clears throat> so that could have been the first time. But then I think when I legitimately was on that, it was Larry Hirsch stepped in. Oh, to, yeah. Okay. He was one of my um, clients. Don, <laughs> sorry to skip back uh, before T-Bone, but you don't remember seeing Don Landy around at all. No. <clears throat> he was probably up at the house by then. I think, yeah, he was. Yeah. I think by then they were. Yeah. He wasn't working with Ted. Yeah. And he was working with Eddie. Right. Yeah. And uh, again, without having really studied for or been that interested before uh, in production stuff and knowing who all the engineers were and even what studios things were cut at, like that wasn't on my radar early on, but the hugest Van Halen fan ever. So I did know who those guys were for sure. Wow. Um, yeah. But he, I did not cross paths with him. Yeah. What about Prince? Did you see him here? In the oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he was working here a bunch when I was a runner. Um, 
I always just see him on the basketball court. I'm sure everyone's told that in, his, <laughs> in the high heels, in his high heel shoes. <laughs> yeah. and, um, I remember waiting around one Christmas Eve until midnight when he was supposed to come in and never did. Um, um, I, I never was on his session because I think like someone like a Closter or some more tenured guy would be put with him. Peggy would have, right? <clears throat> well, she was she was gone by oh, then. Oh, because he was still coming back every night. Yeah, he was coming back. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that Coke Johnson was on. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know what records, but I do remember the Batman soundtrack was one of them. There was okay. probably several things. And then he was maybe involved with the uh, Wendy and Lisa stuff. I'm not sure. If he was even mm. remotely involved, he was with that. producing like Maserati at the time. Obviously, yeah, Jimmy right. Jam was just in. He hadn't been back here in forty years. Oh my gosh! Since Prince fired him from the Time. Wow, that's nuts. And that was such a blessing in disguise for them. Obviously, they went on to be oh, the biggest songwriters, producers yeah, ever. Pretty much. But um, yeah, so uh, Prince, yeah, um, uh, I I remember going out and getting all of his goodies. There was a laundry list of snacks he wanted oh the um, sweets uh hershey uh yeah. solitaire almond chocolates um gummy bears famous amos cookies yeah. which you couldn't go to you had to go down the strip to the famous amos cookie the shop store to yeah. get uh-huh. the famous amos cookies and i would set all that up in his lounge and oh, um yeah, set right. up his um uh, um I remember helping set up the um, control room a few times, putting his mic over the top of the console and, you know, just setting up before he got there and things like that. amazing. Yeah, but probably never said a word to me the whole time. (laughs) Uh, Bill that was just in the engineer that worked for him for a month when Peggy was sick. Bill Jackson. Bill Jackson. He came in and did this and uh, he said, I always had to go get the famous Amos cookie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. He would, um, he was so private, but everyone that, Works here around those times that he would always be on the basketball court. Yeah, he was out there quite a bit. I'd see him quite regularly. It's just so surreal. I mean, yeah. it was like, yeah, Prince want to pick. A, would he play like people one on one or something? Or Sometimes just... he'd be by himself, or there could be a group of people. Yeah. And yeah, Doug Messenger said he played basketball with Prince. You picture that? Wow, <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. That is, that is I wouldn't have dared. You know, picked up the ball. <laughs> I mean, I would just kind of yeah. walk past, and if he. Looked at me, which he did, and I probably would have like said hi or something. But um, yeah, wow. But never assisted him. No, no, never assisted. I, I a couple times would assist the assistant, like after he would leave, like compiling tapes, making safeties. You know, like Closter would be in the next day all burned out, and he's like, "Come on, Mike, I'm going to show you how to make a safety copy of the 24 yeah. tracks and things like that." And what so, was the vibe here, though, <clears throat> at Sunset Sound? In 1990, I mean, was it mm-hmm. just completely packed all the time? It was busy, yeah. I mean, I remember f- just um, in the back of my head not having any control over my schedule. Like, I was, like, told, like, hey, we need you for this Thursday and do-do-do. But, yeah. yeah, I remember it being pretty hopping. We were we were banging it out. It was a busy know? time. Yeah. It was we're, busy. like, three years into <clears throat> Pro Tools coming out then, right? Yeah, well... Do you remember you know, when you transitioned over, Paul, from <coughs> tape to Pro Tools, officially in all rooms? You know, I remember we resisted it for a while. Rightly uh, so. And, yeah. you know, the early yeah. Pro Tools systems didn't sound that good. Yeah. And we were known as a tape facility, so we were still doing it. And I think early on, we were just renting the systems. We didn't mm-hmm. own them. Wow. Again, smart move. Yeah, we the waited until they, you know, evolved to, like, <clears throat> second generation. Did you think it was going to fade out, kind of? 
Or was yeah, that's a good question. I think we were hesitant to jump in because of that. And also, you know, our clients were all about fidelity. Yeah. And they were like, you know, these things don't sound very good. Yeah. yeah. Just quick. We did a yeah. shootout in A. Oh, uh, I we? remember being in there with uh, all the staff guys and Avid had a meeting with the studio and brought down their first, uh, must wow. have been. You remember that? It uh, must have been sound mm-hmm. tools. I don't even think there was Pro Tools, so it was two tracks. That sounds, <clears throat> yeah. And they yeah, brought in this little rig and um, brought it into st- uh, Studio One and um, set it all up. And then we did a, you know, A B comparison to our tape machines. The Studers, I think we were 800s at yeah. that time. That's and, what that um, would have been. Yeah, yeah and I remember uh, David Glover and everyone else just going like, you know, like it just didn't sound good. Yeah, you know, we're like, yeah, you know, we see the possibilities, but if it doesn't sound good, you know, um, the thing you were talking about with the all the tapes at, at the Sound Factory. Yeah. So um, when I was preparing or soon thereafter to 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 leave here and be independent, <clears throat> I started thinking about all the people that left here before me, your Chad Blakes, your David Leonard's, you know, all these guys. That, mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, what am I going to do to, like, set myself apart from those guys? Like, you know, what can I do to just be noticed or, or get a gig? Or, you know, it's like because I felt like, you know, they had so much more skill than me, and they probably did at the time. Yeah. So um, I got interested, um, again, in the, the, the digital aspect of things and i thought like what could i do to sort of you know give myself some other avenues of making money it's basically keep from going broke so i um i got a little bit later version of um sound tools so again it was a card you bought computer card uh, i got that loan i told you about uh, built a computer <clears throat> and then um I knew through um like computer uh systems in offices and things they could make CD-ROMs and it was it wasn't a musical um producing device but it could produce red book CDs. So I researched and researched and I got the one type of thing that could hook up to my system and burn CDs. And then from there I thought, well, you know what? It was weird cuz people do this without thinking these days, but there was no such thing as a project mastering studio. And I, th- I thought, you know, I have um, pretty good ears and uh, I knew a few mastering guys. I would go down and hang out with them, beg them to like hang out at their studios and learn, like teach me some stuff. So I bought um, an interface that was the best thing at the time, some, some great cable. I think I probably had, uh, I think George was our shop tech back then. Uh, Bender? George Bender. Bender. Yeah. yeah. And I think he built me some real short cables. And, um, probably monster <clears throat> cables. It probably was, yeah. I <laughs> think it then. was actually. Yeah. Um, and then um, I bought a, a Manly uh, massive passive equalizer and some kind of a three band, um, real high end tube uh, compressor, and that was it. And I would bring the people would find out I could make CDs for them. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I I built this rig. It was like you know twenty oh, something rack spaces, and I would roll it out of my little house and lay it down in the back of my truck, shove it in there, strap it down, and drive to the studio. And I could take this thing and back it up to a two-track machine and transfer their tapes in in pretty wow. good fashion, and it sounded all right. Yeah. And that led to me being able to, like, get, like, small-budget mastering things from at my house, you know, the good pair That's of speakers, awesome. some maybe B&Ws or something. Um, but the, the way this bloomed with the T-Bone thing was we were in here mixing uh, Sam Phillips' record. 
and I think Pat McCarthy um, oh, was yeah. the engineer. Remember yeah, Pat? Pat? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so we were finishing mixes, and they're like, "Well, who should master this? Should it be Ludwig? Should it be this guy?" And we started sending uh, tapes out. We made copies and sent them out to a bunch of mastering guys, and they all came back. And T Bone was just like, oh, "Like it's pressed, and uh, you know, it doesn't sound good." And um, and this was the early days of digital, of course, too. Yeah. Um, so T Bone says to me. Uh, he goes, hey, Mikey, every night we're taking home mixes. He goes, and, and they're on a CD, not on a cassette, like would be normal, because you couldn't make CDs. Nobody could really do it yet. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, I've been doing them on my little rig. I'm transferring the mixes in there and putting them on CDs for you guys. He goes, that stuff sounds fantastic. He goes, he goes, why don't you master the record? I'm like, hmm? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I ended up mastering Sam's record. Wow. Yeah. So I built that little rig and uh, made yeah. some side money and stuff. And uh, Well, it's probably exactly what you were doing over there. Yeah, it absolutely was. And I remember coming in, even for like um, some of the clients here, a word got around the studio through the guys. And I remember um, loading up mixes for foreplay and a couple other artists. And they would just call me and I'd drive down and back up the thing in the back room and transfer their tapes and do, you know, stuff like that. So. So that was me sort of trying the to get hustle. ahead of the yeah. So yeah. the only thing we had at that time was a cassette tape, huh? Yeah, yeah. So that was before. Nobody, that nobody was, had this. There was you, no DATs. Uh, there was DATs. There was DAT tapes. Yeah. There were? Yeah. Okay. There were DAT tapes Which at that really point. I never really liked. No, and they're so delicate. Yeah, but not so. everybody had a DAT player at home. No, they, they could, didn't. No. That, that they and people, they, it, CDs yeah. had just, you know, gotten pretty yeah. big and um, – you know, to to be able to like make a CD of your mix, you the know, was one. a huge yeah. deal. Yeah, it was well before any of the studios had that capability or anyone else. That's so amazing, though. <clears throat> it's the momentum of Great doing idea. anything that you come up with this, and then yeah. that leads to that, and this Man, leads to that. I, I'm blessed because I don't, I don't know. Nobody taught me any of this stuff. I don't know where it came from, but I'm <laughs> fortunate, you know, that I had some good ideas. That, points in time i guess were you did you have like a girlfriend then or were you just strictly here all the time this is your well your focus your you know obsession i have a um uh a girl that i'd been with and married for a long time during that time and but she was also very career focused Uh and so um we were happily together just pursuing our careers and being great friends and seeing each other when we could and i need one of those it's um (laughs) it's a um there's a heavy toll on engineers yeah with girlfriends and wives and things because they're in the studio all the time especially a girlfriend like hey thursday i want to go see this like i don't know i'm not sure you know and uh, might have to work yeah or you do make a plan and it's like hey guess what yeah because i mean in this business as you guys know i mean like the you got to be there. There's no, you know, there's no turning it Creatives down. in general, too. There was actually a special I watched once, and it was with all of Jimmy Iovine's wives. <laughs> they, really? Oh, yeah, I'll show it to you. Wow. And they... How many does that encompass? There's five, I think. Wow. Well, now I think it's six. That's a good wow. amount. Jimmy Iovine's a legend. Obviously did a bunch of great work here. Um, yeah. You can't control genius. You can't put genius to bed at 10 p.m. You can't make him not be creative at certain points mm. throughout the day. So that's even with engineers or producers or yeah. any form of musician. It's like 
You don't yeah. know when this is going to strike you or when yeah. ideas or, but even when you're working here, like you're here Christmas Eve at 11:50 p.m. Uh-huh. and Prince doesn't even show up. Yeah, and it's like you it's, have no control over it's that. It's a lifestyle, you know. It's like you, you, it's like you commit your life to that. Yeah, you know? it really is. If you if you want to be serious and you want to go somewhere, you got to be that serious about it. Yeah. A lot of things it takes a toll. It's I'm not saying it's healthy or anything, but it's um it's just kind of what you got to do to stand out. You mentioned Chad Blake. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I hear his name all the time, not mm-hmm. just from the Sunset people, but I was watching the Joe Rogan podcast, The Black Keys Run. And they oh, were yeah. still mentioning how they send their mixes to London. Yeah. The same guy they've been using. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Black Keys actually cut Turn Blue, the record in this room we're in right oh. now. Studio two, right? Wow. I think great. I thought it was three, but I think you yeah, were correct. Two. It was two. two. I like those guys a lot. Yeah. And uh, yeah. what yeah. was he? Was he at Sound Factory then? Mostly? Yeah, or only? mostly. When I was here, I remember. He did some work over here, but yeah. he was mostly over there. Studio B. He started, He. I worked with him at Wally Hyder's. Oh, wow, And, yeah. and uh, when I took over the manager position at Sound Factory in, in You brought him in. 82, I remember you introduced him. I to wanted me. to hire him, but yeah. he was committed to doing a project at another studio. Yeah, and as soon as he was done with that, he told me, I'm done with that, and I would still come to work for you if you still want me. And so I hired him. He was a Sunset employee. He was a Sound, Sound Factory, Factory assistant engineer, and eventually when it was time for him to uh, to leave, he, he didn't really leave. He just became an independent <laughs> contractor and became one of our clients. Yeah. And he... One and, of our really good clients. He, he and spent Mitchell a lot Froome of time. Yeah, had he, Studio B booked nine months out of the year, yeah, uh, yeah. either working together or Chad doing mixes for other other projects that that Mitchell might not have been involved in. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Rob Schnaff had the other three months out of the, out mm-hmm. of the year. He he and maybe a, a, a few other people. So yeah, um, yeah, they they were a team, and he spent a lot of time over there between <clears throat> being an employee and then as as a client who just never yeah. left, you know, which so is great. It yeah. was a, a great for us, and yeah. and it brought a lot of people into the place and kind of put put us on the map. Plus, he so. made some incredible records oh, yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He did some stuff with T Bone too, and uh, yeah. you did some assisting. Every all the guys at some point got yeah. got a turn, you know, working yeah. with them. And, yeah, uh, yeah. There were a couple guys that kind of stuck longer than others. Yeah, but, right. Uh, some of the guys wanted to be over here because it was uh, uh happening there was a little more technology going on over here and yeah. and to a certain degree some of the some of the chad and mitchell sessions you were basically just babysitting because sitting in the in the lounge chad would like well, don't you want much. an assistant because you know by the time yeah. i i, I yeah. tell somebody what it is i want done and they and they and they figure it out he goes, I, I, I can already do it and be done with it and be moving on. Yeah. And there were a few guys during that course of time that that knew that and watched what he did and, the, yeah. and studied his setup and tried and got to a point where they anticipated what he was going to want. John they made Paterno. themselves invaluable, and all of a sudden he yeah. appreciated yeah. having a good assistant, which he, he just never gave anybody that chance earlier on yeah. because right. he could do it all himself and he could move at his own pace and not be tripping over somebody mm-hmm. to do something. Oh, well, never mind. I'll just do it. Yeah. It was what he always used yeah. to do. But he assisted on a few things. You know, yeah. uh, Kloster spent a good time with yeah. them. 
Tom Nellen, you know, yeah. a few things. And a, John Paterno. A couple of the other he guys. He sort of stuck Paterno quite a bit. came in and stuck. Yeah, yeah. And when Paterno left, Husky Huskolds oh, right. moved Husky. right in there. Yeah. And he knew they exactly were good match. what it was that Chad wanted also. And, yeah. and between those two guys, they, they spent a lot of time yeah. as the assistant. And they both went on, you know, to... And are having well. good careers. Great oh, engineers. John has just got a. Prof- he's going to be a teacher at Berkeley School of Music. Wow! Wow! So, Crazy. Yeah. The legends That's that are great. all throughout this whole world that have started here with that one resume they handed in. Paul, for the people watching Nuts. this, can you explain briefly? Kind of, somebody gets hired here. You start as a runner, man, and then what's the end goal when they kind of get pushed out into the world? Well, you know, <laughs> I think this goes back to our original manager, Bill Robinson. <clears throat> who started in 68 here. And he wanted to create this environment that he would bring in people fresh. You know, he came from Capital. He was, he was the manager over there. But he would bring in people fresh that weren't, didn't have bad habits, I guess you'd say, hmm. uh, but were intelligent and had the ability. And we would train, he would train them or the staff would train them as a runner first so that they would know the ins and outs and the behind-the-scenes activities of what a session is all about. Because without a runner and, and helping set up and getting the session going, um, you know, the assistant engineer isn't just going to do all that himself. So first, you teach him the, the runner ability and the duties at Sunset Sound, which would go on for a minimum of a year, usually longer, a couple of years. Then we would want to... or want to move them up into the assistant category. And um, they would be mentored by some of the older assistants or possibly some of the engineers that worked here. They would take them under their wing. Then at some point when we would start to maybe divvy out little sessions with them to do recording sessions, I remember my dad would do that. He'd go, I want to try that new new assistant. Wow. Because, you know... He was really, he always felt that if he did a session, he could understand how someone's ability was and also how mm. the room was working. Yeah. If there was problems with the room. <clears throat> wow. So this all started with Bill. And then eventually we would tell the person, it was kind of a hard, hard time, but tell the person, you know, it's time to go out on your own. There is no such thing as a career assistant engineer. <clears throat> Unless you you're, work at Capitol. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if you're in the union, it's great. But uh, so, you know, basically we would we'd have to kick them out the door. And then we would hope yeah. that they would come back. We really did it in the in, with the overall being that they would come back here and start using the, the rooms in engineering, which most of them did. So it was like this full circle thing. I you love know, it. Train them all yeah. the way up, kick them out, engineer, become successful, bring back the client. Yeah. Great model. Creating your own uh, yeah. Getting right here with Mike Persanti, who's here's, a perfect example. He's a great that. example of that. Yeah. But yeah. these names, David Leonard, Chad Blake, Mike Persanti, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. And people, mm-hmm. I'll be down in Nashville wearing a Sunset Sound t-shirt, and I'm like, oh, I work there actually one summer long. Wow, like, wow, oh, that's cool. You didn't, cool. Get, to sec- you didn't wow. get to assist an engineer, obviously. <clears throat> that's amazing. But that's such a cool process, too. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. full circle. What was your favorite room when you worked <clears> there? <throat> they have such um, 
different vibes going. Yeah. Once I knew better, my favorite thing to do would be to um, cut tracks in three um, with all that headroom and that Bushnell board Mm -hmm. and then mix in here. Um, which a lot of people didn't like because of that back wall is so close. It doesn't make sense, but I always understood this room from a mixing perspective and, and I could be confident what I was getting out of it. Mm -hmm. So, and then you have the, you know, nice Neve desk that you can press a little bit and, cause one's great too. I love that board, but if you try to mix something aggressive in there, it just doesn't, it doesn't go. There's just too much headroom. That always just sounds beautiful and big and open. And so, yeah, if you want to do anything with a little aggression, the Neve was always like. What's the best room for drums here? Ooh, I like this room. I like this room a lot because you could get that big. The yeah. volume? Yeah. yeah, yeah. This room was built in 1967, obviously after Studio One. What was this built for orchestras and your dad wanted to have a room big enough to fill, uh, fit? Well, it was the second room to come online, you know, and it was the highest ceiling room. I mean, Studio One, you know, is is deceiving. You know, people go in there and they go, hmm, mm. it's kind of a short ceiling in mm. here. How do you get a good sound out of there? But as, you know, history will, <laughs> would tell you, we've done some pretty incredible records in there. Oh, yeah. But I think my father, you know, is an evolution. He, want, he needed a second room because we were so busy. Yeah. And um, so this was the natural progression. And this room happened to have a high ceiling room. I think this was a photography studio. Oh, yeah, you mentioned oh, that. And that they used sense. to shoot in here, you know. Yeah. Uh, wow. But did it have this this it did same have ceiling? This, yeah, it did. Yeah. I mean, it didn't have the acoustic tile in the but ceiling, the height but it everything. did have the height. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. It's, I asked Brad Wilk from Rage Against the Machine Audio Slave, because he loves this place, and he said Studio One is the best drum room in the world. And I mean... I've gotten great drum sounds in all the rooms, you know. So, yeah. yeah, it's so wild I mean, though. It's so weird yeah. shaped, and obviously mm-hmm. it was an auto repair garage at some point. Studio One, Van Halen yeah. One's tracked in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a good example. I mean, you yeah. know, Don Landy, Ted Templeman, <clears throat> they made great records with Van Halen, and they made them in both rooms. Yeah. Yeah. And they still got the sound. Did you uh, read Ted Templeman's book by chance? You know, I have it, and I have not. I've got a stack of books at home that I just haven't got around to. It's so but fascinating. Yeah, I've heard it's great. Yeah. And he just speaks so poetically, one, but two, appreciative of the studio, how much he loved it and the vibe Man. coming in here. And Yeah, you're in great hands. You walk into these doors. I mean, there, you know, you got good good staff, good rooms, good the equipment here, you know, is like crazy. This was, you know, when I left here, I realized how good the equipment was taken care of here by going to a lot of other studios and going like, ooh, wow, you know. Yeah, we've so, always put an emphasis on maintenance. Yeah, it's yeah. super important, super duper important, yeah. But uh, for, uh, just talking about room sounds, I mean, the Wrecking Crew stuff, right? In one? Wrecking Crew. I mean, crew. go listen to that stuff. Like, you want to hear a good room, that room sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the norm then. Yeah. The studio musicians were the Wrecking Crew. So you've made a career working with T-Bone Burnett. Which I was warned about, by the way. <laughs> Craig. You're still warned about. It, it, at some point, I mean, <clears throat> T-Bone largely, you know, grabbed me out of here at some point. I, mean, I can elaborate on that a little bit. But I remember at some point Craig warning me, like, don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I'm so busy and I'm working on all these big projects. And, like, what do I do? Just, like, tell them, no, I don't want to work with you, you know. But apparently, I mean, 
when I met T-Bone, what I noticed about him is that he was different. He wasn't the typical record producer guy. He did what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it, when he wanted to do it, and he just operated. Um, so he was definitely different. Um, and the, the, the real thing I remember vividly about T-Bone, I remember sitting – you know, I'd sit in the back corner of the room until somebody asked me to do something and be quiet. And and there was some take of a song or something, and they were like, well, I don't know. I like take two. I like take one. And T-Bone literally turned around and looked at me, and he goes, which one do you like, Mikey? And I was like, oh. like, And he, like, asked my opinion, and I was like, that's never happened to me before in wow. one, one of these sessions. And so yeah. I was like, this guy is, like, different, you know. So I slowly started, you know, uh, assisting with him on several projects. And then um, there came one time where I was to be, he said, hey, I'm going to record my own record. He goes, I want you to be the engineer. Oh, wow. And um, Which I, record was that? I think it was Tooth of Crime. Okay. Tooth of Crime record. Um, so I said, yeah, and I was frightened, you know. Um, so I set up Studio 3. And, um, and I went to Craig and I said, Hey, Craig, like I'm tracking, like, who's my assistant? He goes, you, he goes, you're, you're the, who we have for studio three. So I said, Oh, so I finished setting up everything mic wise. And, uh, Jim Keltner comes in, <laughs> uh, Mark Rebo playing guitar. I think Jerry chef playing bass, uh, T-bone playing guitar and singing, and I was just like, okay. So I'm out there micing stuff up and trying to, you know, everything's plugged in, but I've got no outboard gear platinum, nothing's, no sounds on anything yet. And, and Keltner's like, hey, hey, Mikey. T-Bone taught everyone to call me Mikey, so that sort of stuck. And um, he says, I got this, this old Sony boombox, and he goes, I want to plug in a cable and do and I'm just like, oh like I need to go get sounds and things. And so I did it, you know, I took the time and I run into the control room and I'm just getting ready to start patching in some compressors and get some sounds, you know, to get sounds on Jim Keltner is a, a oxymoron. It doesn't exist. Um, he doesn't really do that. Um, I found out. So anyway, I don't know, for whatever reason, um, here Rebo asking Jim, like, Hey, you heard the demo, right? He goes, how does that, how did the intro go again? And, and I don't know what came across me, but I just went over and hit record on the tape machine. And, uh, so Rebo plays the intro and Jim does a fill and then the bass player comes in and T-Bone starts singing and I'm looking down. I've got seven faders up on the board in studio three, nothing's patched in. And I'm just like, like what do i do like oh i'm recording and uh so i knew like not to start doing stuff and you know plugging things in and changing everything so i'm like i'm just gonna wait till the end and um you know i don't know if they know i'm recording or not so maybe it'll give me a chance and so they go through the whole song hit the da 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 and it rings out and it's on tape somewhere jim keltner going hey mikey did you get that and i just go yeah, I got it. And uh, talk, and they're like, we're going to come in and listen. I was like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you like another? <laughs> and they came in. Take. <laughs> and it was so raw and wild. They like, loved it. They were just like, my God, oh, it sounds great. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so that was my first engineering wow. gig with That's T-Bone. Great. Frightening. Just, <laughs> just frightening. And from there, I started working on, uh, you know, he'd have me first 
uh, with them, and I was still seconding. But unbeknownst to me, as Paul said, one day Craig came up to me and he said, <laughs> he goes, fly, little birdie. And I'm like, what, you're firing me? Like, I, He's like, yeah. He goes, you're too busy firsting, and you got to move. And I didn't know that was what happened, but yeah. I, I got fired from sunset sound time to move <laughs> yeah. so, open up the slot for someone else yeah, yeah. and um yeah and yeah I, I brought people back here uh a lot and um did a lot of projects um and but at some point t-bone just refused to do the drive anymore and since i remember he him was, complaining to me about that you know yeah. it, from from brentwood to here is oh, a brutal and uh you go in both ways. Um, Could be and, a two-hour drive. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he, uh, since he was my, like, pretty much one client, you know, I had no choice but to follow him. And, and yeah. it, it pained me a lot because I missed, like, being at home, having that home field advantage, um, having the mics I knew. I knew which 251 was the best one, which 67, you know. And at some point, I just didn't – it wasn't my choice. Well, and you're also here. You're in an environment where you're seeing other engineers and yeah. other musicians, yeah. whereas you're yeah. a little isolated in a situation like that. Well, at like that, that point, we were largely working at Village and stuff because he we uh, hadn't made that home okay. studio for right. – it yeah. took a few years even to bring uh, a BCM yeah. board in there and get that online. All right. So it started by us just working on West Side Studios. And there aren't a lot of options on the West Side. It was the either. village yeah. largely, right. you know. Is that the only place you were? Did you ever work at Jackson? Yeah, we did that. Yeah. yeah. Not often, but we did work at Jackson's place. Um and once in a while, you know, we would come back for something that like cuz oh, T-Bone yeah. loved it. I mean, this was He did was, come back here. I remember Yeah, that. he loved this place. So, yeah, whenever it was appropriate, we would come back cuz he, he always says it was like the best studio, you know, to work at. And um and once in a while we'd have to go to Capitol for whatever reason. And a lot of things back then, you didn't always get a chance to say, hey, I want to do this here in this room because it might be booked and you might have to say, okay, well, then let's go to this studio. And yeah, sure. because right. you had to do something at a certain time and get it done. So you had to riff, you know. What were some of the records, though, you did with T Bone here? Um, you started off his solo record and then yeah. you moved yeah. on to, you did Wallflowers, Bringing Down the Horse, which sold, I think, three billion yeah. copies or something crazy. Yeah. It was gigantic. Counting Crows. I didn't work on Counting Crows. Uh, that was before I started working with T-Bone. Oh, wow. But I was here, and I think he did that at Sound Factory, right? Some of it. Some of it. Um, but I was here no, wait, at he, the end of that time. That was the first album. Yeah, August yeah. and everything after. Yeah, we, uh, we didn't do that. We did the second album at, uh, at Sound Factory. Okay, okay. So he did the first one here. Oh, yeah. wow. It was Gil Norton uh, yeah. did the second. So that may have been right before mm -hmm. I started, possibly. He was um, completely on fire in the early 90s. I mean, always on fire. But yeah, in that yeah. time period specifically, it was just, like you mentioned, he had oh all God. the rooms going. Yeah. He had like five and of the top he, 20 records in I, the I country. I was one of a couple engineers, you know, or a few, I would say, that he worked with during that time because we would all be on different projects and um, doing different things, and they, things would overlap and whatnot. Um but no one really stuck with T-Bone for a long time because he was very demanding. Um, he he always had something going on, two or three things, and it was a rough life. And every engineer that used to work with him that I've seen in recent years has asked me, like, how did you stay with him that long? And I said, I don't know. I just, like, kept going, kept working. And, yeah, a lot of times um, things, there was no break. 
in between the projects too, so there was no oh they, time to recuperate from the last. No, one. no, just did it. They right overlapped. Into the, into they overlapped. The next one. They yeah. literally wow. would overlap. Yeah. We would sometimes have a couple rooms here working. Yeah, on a couple projects. albums, and I was the only yeah. engineer bouncing yeah. around back and forth, and you know. I, yeah. How oh, is yeah. that possible? Did you, did you work on uh, Oh Brother, We're Out Thou? Yeah. There? Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember we, him doing that. I think he was doing a Gillian Welsh record at the same time. Yeah. I worked on that with him here. Yeah. Um, uh, several Sam Phillips records. Um, yeah. His, he just pop his, his head in and kind of be like, all right, let me hear this. All right, that works. That doesn't work. And then go on. Yeah. There. It's always different, you know, um, always different. But T-Bone was that guy that would do everything from just be the producer to if he knew like exactly what he wanted, he'll jump in and get on the board and start twisting EQs and things. And, oh, you so know, you know how to engineer too. Oh, bit. yeah. He started out 16 years old, owning his own recording studio. Um, <laughs> but he would usually get stuff like in a direction, especially like when he's guiding me in my early years and then he's go all right you take it from here now you get the idea and i'm like okay and you know so um we just developed a way of working together over the years obviously and developing a sound but but yeah we did work on oh brother here i think in one and two i i know we did some overdubs and probably mixed the soundtrack here. yeah pretty sure we mixed the soundtrack here. yeah we've got the uh you know, the big yeah. record. <laughs> well, um, record. one of the things you mentioned on here was, was uh, the album that I'm extremely proud of. And it would, would have been that, of course, because um, being the situation with T-Bone I was in <clears throat> where I wasn't necessarily always able to, like, bring the clients back here. And, you know, and I, I um, you know, like I, I, I felt I don't know what the word is, but like. I feel like I wanted to do more of that. But when I we had this great success on this album, it was me who orchestrated getting that plaque and scheduling the time to come down here and present it to Paul in the studio. Oh, wow. And that was like a big, big moment for me. Like, here, here, look, that I've done good. That was a great plaque. I've yeah. done good. You, know? you did. Do good. Yeah, and so that was like hugely important to like be given back to the studio and do something that we were proud of and they were proud of. That's amazing. But um, also... Um, well, you got a Grammy for that, didn't you? We, uh, a couple. I yeah. think a couple, a few of them, yeah. And um, I'm trying to think because there, uh, there was a time back then where T-Bone was getting into film work and got a string of a bunch of big films, you know, in a row <clears throat> that we were working on at that time. And I'm trying to think. I know there was um, – oh, the um, Callie's movie, his wife Callie Corey. Mm -hmm. um, she, um, she's the one uh, who did Thelma and Louise um, – and we did the Secrets of the Yaya Sisters. Oh yeah, which uh -huh. is um, you know it's a cute movie. It was Sandra Bullock and um, James Garner, I think, was in it. Um, well, well done movie, um, but had a lot of like different music in it from Macy Gray to like big band and um, oh god, yeah, just a lot of different. Was kinds he the of music. music supervisor? Mm -hmm. um, he probably he probably was because yeah. I know he's just a brilliant savant kind of guy when it comes to. Music and yeah. genres and, yeah. and the the knowledge he has Impeccable is just, taste. Uh, just um, mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. What he knows. He he is um a musicologist, yeah. legitimately, yeah. yeah. Um and that's like, you know, that's something you're around him for a lot of years and you try to lock in on, but it's like you'll never you know, you'll never catch up. <laughs> well, for those yeah. that don't know, what is when you're working on a soundtrack for a film, mm -hmm. what does that all entail? Well, 
you know, it obviously varies from project to project. Yeah, and, and we we do things a very specific way, um, mostly um, because the stuff that oh, Big Lebowski. Oh, that's here, right. Which I'm, you know, I big didn't have Lebowski. a big part of, but it's Jeff like, Bridges. yeah, I yeah. worked on the Big Lebowski, <laughs> and I know the dude to today dude. because we've done a lot of other projects with them. In crazy the past, heart, but um, so that was crazy the one I was heart. trying to think yeah. of. And Crazy Heart, yeah, yeah, that which was a is great that's film. my missing Grammy, by the way. Did we do that here? I did. Did we do that here? I don't think so. That might I, have been Village. Yeah, yeah, that was Village. I don't think so. Um, but anyway, I don't need to get into the details. But uh, you know, basically, when T Bone and I do a film, it's going to be a music based film. Unlike you know, it's a film and there's music in it. Yeah. Regardless of how you know great the music is, but w- w- we typically would do films based on music so so we would always go in do pre-records um get everything really locked down you know after of course you know picking the songs knowing the script and what's going to go where do a lot of recording and then like in a case like um walk the line or something where these actors have to sing then it becomes very tough because you you do scratch vocals with really good singers you get it grooved and timed really well. And as you're teaching these guys to sing, and I, I don't mean me, but I certainly work with them a lot, and you'll do the post stuff. But, um, you know, um, vocal coaches, all kinds of stuff, um, people who teach them how to act on stage, they're learning all this stuff. But when they go to shoot, if they're, if they're not actually singing, or, or, or even if they are, like those, everything's got to be locked down before you shoot picture. Because yeah. once those lips are synced, you can't move vocals around and groove things. Right. And, you know, because T-Bone and I are famous for going into a song and we'll edit the crap out of something if needed, but it's just little bits and pieces by ear to make things land and ring in a certain way. And we want to go in and come out and you never knew we were there. It's just the band playing and the guys singing. And Was so, Jeff uh, Bridges a singer? Yeah, yeah. He was? Yeah. Okay. He was, yeah. And he sang all of his own stuff. Um, but then we've done like in Oh Brother, like um, George Clooney, that's not his voice in the film singing. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Although he did sing it and it, it was um, – asked to be erased <laughs> and um i um reluctantly you know i'm t-bone are you sure are you sure yes and i was told to burn it send it to magnetic heaven and <laughs> okay never to be heard from again <laughs> wow so i did that but he was fantastic i mean he he really wanted to do it and realized like it could be better without him actually yeah. he didn't need that uh you know bump to his ego to be the one to actually sing yeah. it he's one of the best thing Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon did, however, sing yeah. Walk the Line. Yeah, and man, they worked hard. I mean, they I'm going to say they sang those songs, you know, oh God, I don't even know how many times, 20, 30, 40 times, picking up bits and pieces, practicing. And, yeah, when you hear Joaquin do Johnny Cash, it's like, wow. It's like, man, who thought someone, anyone could pull that off? Yeah. And he, man, he just an amazing job plus the acting is great and that was probably done in nashville i would imagine um we cut tracks there and actually um jack clement who was sam phillips sam phillips thank you it was his engineer and he actually built the studio the sound emporium in nashville that we cut the tracks in he had since sold the studio to 
Garth Fundus, I think it was. And he had a place across the street, but he knew we were doing this and we invited him down to hang out and like pick his brain and, you know, how would you do this? And, and he ended up being the one to not only play the track, but to show us how to take a dollar bill and thread it between the strings of the guitar. So you get that, that kind of sound. And, um, so it was really cool to have him around, but then all the vocals and stuff were pretty much done at T-Bone studio at that point. We we were up and running with that console by then. And Bush now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the walk the line was done on the Bushnell. Wow, APA. quite we, a bit of it. Yeah, we got a touchdown yeah. on that. We've yeah, we discussed this that. a few different times, but <clears throat> it went in in 1970. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, sorry. and then it came out around 85 when we oh com- wow when we completed huh. the board that was in there. Wow. Uh, I sold the board to Paul Wolf. I wanted to get it out of town. <laughs> I didn't want it here. I didn't want. Sunset yeah. Sound down the street by somebody else's against competing yeah. against us. So because so, back then it you <clears throat> went to a studio and got a sound that you wouldn't yeah. get in another. Studio. I wanted it out of here, so yeah. Paul took it to the East Coast. It was great. <laughs> it spent many years in the East Coast, hopefully resting somewhere. It, yeah, no, it was working. Uh, yeah. Working, you know, console, but that's fine. Virginia. Yeah, I mean, it oh, was wow. the, in Virginia, yeah. and then it went to huh. Philadelphia. Yep. And then um, this guy got a hold of it, this broker. Anyway, Michael T-Bone. Block. Michael Block. Yeah, who I know. So yep. T-Bone happens to be recording here. I, you were probably with him. And I don't remember what probably he was, was recording, but it was in the 90s. And he comes up to me. I'm standing right out the back door here. He comes up to me and he goes, Paul, uh, I'm going to buy your console. And I go... I mean, I didn't even know what yeah, he's like, talking, what talking about. about? What are you talking about? I go, you're buying what, what console? Yeah. You know, the console that was in Studio One. And I just go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh What? Yeah. It was just, you know, my mind just was spinning yeah. at a million right. miles. Oh, there this goes. This is not good. This is not good. There goes yeah. T-Bone. I'll never uh-huh. see him again. And and, and then he, I go, tell me. where. And he goes, Michael Block. He's, I'm negotiating buying the console right now as we speak. And I was like. Yeah. Oh, how how nice. Yeah, how nice. I'm how so nice. happy for you. How, how nice is that? Uh, yeah, anyway. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I actually, before this happened, that you talked to him, I, I actually found the console. Um, for sale. I, I, weirdest thing, I was looking through eBay. <laughs> through eBay? T-Bone. T-Bone him. Yeah. T-Bone would have fault. never found this. He would have never known. Of course not. I, I'm searching through eBay because I'm one of those guys who, like, I keep up on gear. I read about stuff. I learn what all the new plugins are coming out. Um, you know, you get that little blurb in, in your one of your emails, like, how to record a pop vocal. And I'm like, I'm going to read that. Like, this is yesterday. You know, it's like, I know all this stuff, but maybe there'll be some little thing that I never thought of or never tried. Or So I'm flipping through eBay looking at gear. And I'm like, because I knew what that console looked like because we had one in here yeah. and we had one in there. Yeah, they and, were um, sister consoles. Yeah, because that um, one that was here when I started was hadn't left yet. Right. Um, and it ended up in town, too. Yeah, that ended up in town. <laughs> that was that 
Skip Sailor. Skip Sailor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't want to say his name unless yeah. it was okay. Skip. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, saw it, and I'm like, I gotta call this guy. <laughs> and he started telling me, I'm like, hey, like I know this board. I worked at Sunset, and he goes, well, I'm not really selling it through eBay. He goes, I'm just advertising it. <laughs> oh. Said, okay. So like, you know, and it had a price. Um, no, I don't think it did. Yeah. I don't think it had a price. Like a bid thing or something. Yeah, yeah. it was probably like not known what the low bid was going to be sure. or who knows. Were they advertising it as Sunset Sound Studio One console that Van Halen One was done on and Stevie Nicks nah, and Doobie Brothers? I know they probably didn't have the, uh, a history on it. Yeah, certainly T-Bone and I uh, and Paul have gone through in the years and really gotten to the meat and potatoes of the history of that thing, but... But I don't remember. It might have said something about Sunset Sound, but I don't think it touted much okay. more than that. You just know? wondered, yeah. So yeah. I, of course, told T-Bone, you know, just out of like, can you believe this? And I didn't know he was going to buy it, you know. Um, we had his living room, and Brent would set up with a BCM console. Um, we bought uh, a 3M, uh, I want to say an M16, is that the right M seventy nine. M seventy nine. Sixteen track. The closed loop. Oh yeah, snap yeah. tape. Super <laughs> super duper good sounding. Uh, machine. Sounding good. Um, hard to align when it worked. Yeah, yeah. The the, the sixteen or the twenty four. Sixteen. It was the, a sixteen. Sixteen. M fifty six. Remember we had those Might at Sound been, Factory I can't, when yeah. we first. Yeah. Did you? Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. I remember it snapped a couple people's. Yeah. Two, oh two no. Inch. When you hit go, that that gate would just slam up. And oh yeah. I've yeah. got a recording of. Uh, um, I remember working the first times at T-Bone's house on that board. And I'm in, you know, miking up Jim and Sam's in the back bedroom. So I go over to talk to her. And, like, nobody knows where I am because there's no communication. And I hear Jim counting off the song. And um, <laughs> so I run over to the tape machine and I hit go. And I, you can hear on the tape, it's actually on Sam's record, you can hear that gate, that head gate slamming Slam. shut. <laughs> and, like, boom, the downbeat. Go- I mean, I barely caught it. In wow. time. So we had that and the little BCM 10 and two LA2s and like that might have been it. And we were like making little records over there with that. So I never dreamed T-Bone was going to like, hey, let's install and this then the console, console in there. And then he decides like, I got to buy this. I want this board and we're going to put it in here. And um, and so, yeah, it, it happened. Yeah. Two questions. Yep. If you can. Uh, how yeah. much was it? Ooh, you know, <laughs> I could be so off base. I remember for some reason, like it was like sixty some thousand dollars. Does that? I was sound? gonna. Say, I don't know. He didn't tell me, but it was. I, I did talk to him a couple times or once after that, and I just said, "I'll give you some advice. Just make sure it's loaded up correctly. Make sure it's got the five fifty EQ." Did not. Yeah, and make sure it's empty. got. Yeah. Oh, it was empty. All the all the uh, cards were there, but the EQs were out. EQs were m- missing. Not was that the only thing that was missing? Yeah, pretty much. They had all the looms, all the interconnects to the multi tracks. Yeah. Um, Pulled them out and sold them for to people for lunchbox. Something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It so, had faders. Um, it did. It had the original, the um, manual Penny and Giles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PNGs in yeah. there. Um, and then we, of course, retrofitted it with the Flying Faders. Uh, right. We got through Dale Manquin, yeah. which was just a bitch. And then we had to have the, the faders modified to fit in there for yeah. whatever. I, I think Charlie Bolas 
came in and did all the mods. But then, yeah, we had to buy a slew of was thirty-two oh, equalizers. So you had to go out and find those. Dan Alexander. Oh, Dan. Oh, <laughs> Good old Dan. Didn't get a deal on that. Uh, don't remember so much. Don't remember so much. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I guess I was instrumental in that thing being found and you know the putting it in and everything. But but man, it was badass. It was fucking awesome to have yeah. that in someone's living room. Oh my god! And yeah. it's it was a, it's a Shelby Cobra, you know. Yeah, it just keeps going. Well, and also <laughs> you just you you push your mix up, and it it already sounds like you've been working for half an hour. Yeah. You know, it just it glues everything together, and um, yeah, I mean, you know, you got one in the other room. And I know it's just, it just, man, it's just. Did T Bone just want to work from home? He was sick of traveling to studios and the race yeah, and everything. He loved that idea because then you know he his whole life is just one thing. There's not personal and business so much and recording. I mean, he just everything sort of overlaps, you know. So for him, is a very um, convenient thing for him to just be able to be working and then disappear upstairs and start like searching for some songs for a movie. And if I need them, you know, I like stomp on the floor or something <laughs> when it comes down or whatever, you know. And um, so for him, it's very convenient and, and helpful to be able to just have that workflow and overlap and multitask. And many, many, many times we would have rooms at the village and have other things going on at the house, a mix set up. And we'd run to the village and make a track, come back, finish our mix or whatever, bouncing all over the place. And it was just me working with T-Bone, all these projects for a good 10 or 12 years. In the house. And at, and, and everywhere else. And then uh, I was you would the, cut tracks in Nashville a lot, right? Uh, yeah, we, did, we had a little period of time where we'd do that a lot, yeah. Um, and then we started working with a lot of artists. We did a string of people like, you know, from BB King to Greg Allman to Elton, um, Leon Russell, and where we would have our band and we would have the artists come and become part of our band, our house band. Um, so we did that, but it was just me running this whole show, you know, all the time. And I lived way too close to T-Bone. <laughs> you get up in the morning and you're expecting, like, you know, the day off or maybe I'm doing something else. And it's like, hey, Mikey, can you just come over and help me? And I'm like, eh, or we got to get a mix together or, you know, so it was just <laughs> constantly zing, zing, zing back and forth. And wow. So, uh, yeah, but that console, I mean, we got it up and running. Um, we picked where in the room to put it by getting the monitors emptying the room out and moving the monitors around the room to see where they sounded the best. Would you have floor monitors? <clears throat> well, you know, once we got that done, we moved the board in and got it working. But um, we had uh, ATC 150s up on um, uh, um, sound anchors, mm -hmm. big dual pedestal ones, um, towed down and literally – one would be right above your head, and I'm at the console, and one was – I mean, it's just these massive monitors about, like, eight wow. feet away from you. And T-Bone mm. would just crank the shit out of him. It's like over 102 dB and oh just pumping, you know. How's your ears? Good, good. <laughs> I, I took precautions when this, you know, little – you know, if he kept going like that for yeah. too long, I would either, you know, step Take a aside break. or put some yeah, plugs in yeah. or, but yeah, I'm doing fine. You know, yeah, okay. I mix a lot. <laughs> a year ago, we get a film crew down here to interview Paul. Yep. And the topic is the Bushnell API console. Yeah. What was done on it? What's the history of it? And they wanted 
Paul to give an interview on it. Yeah, because I did watch that for the sale. Yeah, that was a no, great and well done. Yeah. Man, I I just was like so, um, yeah, just so uh, grateful to see you get involved in that and yeah i wanted to help him out yeah. on that you and know you, it you was cared a, about the boy it's a thing it's it's, the, it's yeah. you know, a living thing that yeah. keeps you know probably be still going when we're all gone it probably will <laughs> you know but they cut a trailer an amazing it was almost like a movie trailer yeah. about this recording console mm-hmm. to let the public know it was for sale one but two just yeah. the history of the board obviously to yeah. beef it up which great to document tremendous yeah. why did t-bone want to get rid of it at that point in 2020 <clears throat> Um, you know, largely, I believe he, um, was getting ready to move to Nashville. Okay. And, you know, the, I think the time where the last couple of years we weren't working there so much all the time. And it just sort of the things he was doing and the way he had sort of developed at that time, I think he didn't really feel like he needed a full-time studio like a full, you know, full blown studio in his yeah. house anymore, you know, and he was getting ready to move. It just seemed like it had run its course, and it was time for him to. Well, that trailer did <clears throat> made quite the impact because it sold about twenty times what it's probably worth. Yeah, it I sold heard it Paul fifteen Wolf minutes too, right? About that. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, yeah, I think the man's name Singh. Yeah, he has a huge complex. He's building upstate New York. And uh, wow. money's no object. So you got it out of town again. I got it out. Yeah, of t- it is out of town. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's Amazing. true. I think everyone was shocked how much that board yeah. went for. I mean, well, yeah, that was that trailer. That's T-Bone what did, did well. Hyped it up. Yeah, he certainly <laughs> did. What's what's the appreciation from sixty some thousand? Yeah. Like a I got a thousand t- percent. I'm t- I'm from Indiana. I went to Indiana University, oh. Chicago area mostly. Great. But um, I'm really close with the Mellencamp family. Oh yeah, yeah. And I know yeah. you've done a ton of records with John. Yeah. Do you go to Bloomington to work at his house? You know, yeah, yeah, mostly. And mostly. him and T Bone are pretty close, right? Yeah, Obviously. yeah, definitely. Yeah, they they always got along great, and um, they were like two school kids would get each other into trouble you know because they're both sort of mischievous i guess in a way but but when i was saying about the the many albums we'd done with um you know major um, artists and things with our band um when when we came around to melon camp that was off the table so all of a sudden we're going there into his lair with his guys and all of a sudden it was like oh it was a little you know you know, it wasn't home, you know, with your guys and uh, all that. So it was interesting. Um, I'd heard a lot of stories about John, you know, maybe being a little prickly or difficult or whatever. I, I mean, it's no secret. He has that, that reputation. Yeah. He's probably laugh, laugh at me about saying it. <laughs> um, so, you know, I went in and, you know, I'm usually can be a pretty likable guy. So I went in without too much concern or whatever and, so and he was you know friendly. We set up, we cut some tracks. Everything was actually going great. And um, so we, we the first song I think we uh, had cut. We did a few takes, and the band went to take a break. And because I, I got asked to do an edit, T Bone said, you know, we got these three takes, and you know he goes, we like take one, but we want to put the the bridge from take three into take one, <clears throat> cut the multi track. 
so the band knows to scatter and t-bone goes for a walk <clears throat> i go walk over the tape machine and uh <laughs> and john's sitting on the couch like this just watching me and I was like, this is really uncomfortable. <laughs> Start finding my place. I make a cut. This is a razor blade cut. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, cutting yeah. a multi-track and uh, not saying a word to me. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> this is so funny. So I, I'm going through. I want to make sure I get the right take. So I listen to the bridge of take two to make sure, you know, and, uh, and I'm going to go to three. He goes, hey, what, what, what take was that bridge from? I said, well, I was from take two. He goes, well, that was good, wasn't it? And I said, yeah, it was really good. He goes, well, why don't you put that one in there? I said, okay. <laughs> you know, you're the only one sitting in the room. He's the one paying me. I said, okay, you want me to put take two? He says, yeah. So I cut it in, and um, I just taped it together, and I was about to, you know, you run the tape back and forth a few times. I was just about to hit play, and T-Bone comes walking in the room. <laughs> he goes did you do it and i said yep <laughs> i did it <laughs> yep and he goes well let me hear it i said okay so i hit play and it goes through and it plays and and t-bone goes over and stops the tape machine he goes he goes what bridge was that i said this is from take two actually he goes well didn't i tell you to put take three in there and i said uh, and i look <laughs> over at john he's like yeah, Mike. Didn't he tell you to put tape <laughs> in? No, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Under the bus. <laughs> and I said, you guys, I'm so sorry. I messed up. Let me fix this. It'll just take me five minutes. I'll, I'll get this right. And T-Bone goes walking out. And John is laughing his ass off. Oh, God. And nice. so I feel like I endeared myself to him that day. Whereas, like, I didn't go, well, John said, you know, I just dumbed you up. you didn't throw him under the bus. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, like, you know, he sort of trusted me after that. And I felt like we had a pretty good, you know, sort of getting along <laughs> after that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. Whew, that was. That Where was, was that at? His house or Belmont Mall? Belmont. Belmont. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. He's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, he loves Amazing guy, man. Amazing. Yeah. Kenny Arnoff came on this show before. Yeah. Obviously, he you know yep. went to Jacob's School of Music at in Indiana, but mm -hmm. met John there, lived there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he was like from the time that band first yeah, met, right? Yeah. First record, and they were cutting at yeah. Cherokee Studios. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah right. Before yeah. John, obviously. That's had. where he did his first yeah. uh, American when Fool. When he was John Cougar? Yeah. yeah. Johnny John Cougar. Cougar. Johnny. Oh, wow, it was Johnny before John, right? Mm. Wow. Was he smoking 20 cigarettes and... Bit. Had two lit in the ashtray, one in his mouth, few, one in his ear. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't did. drink, doesn't do drugs, anything. Just loves. Yeah, cigarettes. smoking. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, you, but man, I I get along great with him. It's easy. He's easy to work with. He knows what he wants. He's not one of those people that like. Yeah, I'm not sure, or maybe let's try. Like when he knows, like let's do this and this, and I'm going to be happy. And you give him that and that, and he's happy and easy to mix with them. And yeah, what really, was the first record you did with? The Melon Camp. Oh, remember? I remember the record. I don't remember which record. Sure. We'll, we'll have to look That's that up. Yeah. Yeah. You've done three to four, well, numerous artists, you've done three, four, five records even. Yeah. What do you attest that to about your own personal skill and personality? Well, um, you know, for one... Um, I know great producers that have only worked with big artists one yeah. time and then they move on to somebody else and right then sure and i these think these people keep coming back to you. i think a lot of people you know like are trying to 
go into different styles or want a different inspiration for what they do. Um, but you know, a, I'm was with T-Bone a lot. So if people would want T-Bone, I came with T-Bone. Yeah. So that kind of, you know, but, but I think, you know, in a general sense, what you're asking, I, I, I definitely feel like I, I can make clients feel, I, I wrote notes on this actually, like, uh, making them feel comfortable, um, that, you know, I'm a trusted person. They know I'll give them what they're asking for. Um, and you know, um, I guess they like my work at the end of the day sure. as well. You know? Yeah. Um, so that means maybe the first project went well and. Yeah, it's not um, just the history of the studio. It's also <clears throat> educational. You know, there's yeah, the audio community on YouTube and social media is just tremendous. It's yeah. gigantic, and they want to yeah. learn how to be yeah great in this field. Yeah, and engineering or producing. Well, um, you know, work hard. <laughs> don't ever give up. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and keep learning, and don't ever ever think you know everything, ever. Like uh, that's if you want the bottom line of that. Yeah. That's my credo, I would say, you know. Um, I work with this girl named Carmen Vandenberg, but she's really good friends with Molly Miller. Did you do yeah. Molly Miller's record? I did. Solo without T-Bone. First, right? Yeah, her first solo record. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, yeah, she's I did that. Tremendous guitar player. Yeah, she's great. In fact, her brother, Sammy Miller, uh, he's a... Um, He's in a big band. He's the Sammy Miller big band. Um, I did his record, and that's when I met Molly, actually. Um, and so I've done two records with him now uh, that she's on, and he's fantastic. He's a he's the drummer, and he arranges all the parts for wow. all the horns and everything. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, really talented guy. So yeah, Molly's amazing. I love, yeah. love her a lot. Um, there is one record. There's so much work that you've done with T-Bone, without T-Bone, starting here, but... There's one record we need to investigate a little bit, and that's Raising Sand. With, one of my favorite records. Yes, yeah. mine too. Yeah. It was so groundbreaking. And, yeah. But it's Robert Plant and Allison Krauss, Crazy, for those right? who don't know. And we, Didn't like, you do that in the did house? something without him. Yeah, we did a lot of it on the Bushnell at the house. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, between there, we probably did some stuff at the village. But, did you? But, did, am I dreaming this, or did you tell me that after Raising Sand, you did a record with them they got shell and it yep. never came out um yeah we did we did a lot of what lot of what tracks. happened with that um it largely went into the vault although a lot of that was explored making this you know second record that just uh, recently came out okay so there was um, a lot of time frame between the yeah. first record and this most recent yeah record. and i heard yeah. at one point that the the new album was stuff that they went through from the old there was enough material left from the first album there certainly that, was that, that they could have but released we cut a, a lot album. of new tracks as well yeah yeah mm. yeah so it's it's a mix so that's what i thought was actually going to come out yeah so. and and you know there may be stuff that may you know yeah. turn into a third record um, so there's other material that's not yeah. not out there yet right <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, we definitely wanted to, to cut new tracks, you know, in this new era and everything. So a lot of new stuff was cut as well. Yeah. yeah. If you wait um, too long in between, them, yeah, then some we of didn't want to just, just you know, grab the other yeah, stuff and, exactly. you know, yeah. but if something stood out, it was potentially worked on and re reworked and remixed and all that. Um, who put them together though? First off, how does Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin, who Led Zeppelin worked 
on two records in this room we're sitting yeah, in, actually. Yeah, I know. Mixed yeah. when Levy breaks on the sound technique. Boy, board. I'm like Paul. When I was a kid, Zeppelin was just I like... Know. Um, like the rock gods. Yeah, it was crazy. Do you remember how Robert Plant even... You know, um, I want to say there was some... Sort of a, I, I wish I could remember who it was, and you could look this up if you want to interject some text above this. Sure. Um, there was some some benefit or some kind of event where it came to pass that Allison sang with Robert on something, oh, wow. and it had sort of um, you know sparked their interest in a way, but nothing ever happened until T Bone had the idea that like well. Let's make a record together. Oh, he put them together? I believe that he largely was the one who, you know, made it happen, you know. But they had met and sang before, so I think they sort of had an idea that it was maybe interesting or something. But I don't think they ever considered doing it without T-Bone's, you know, uh, thoughts on the idea. Yeah. Well, it was a very acclaimed record. Yeah, yeah. And it was one of those ones where you talk about T-Bone being such a musicologist. And I mean, the breadth of stuff he'll present someone like your Greg Almond or anybody or them, um, you know, hundreds of songs, you know, for months going back and forth. What about this? Hey, I found this. This might be interesting if we do it in this fashion or um, and lots and lots of stuff. Choice of musicians for the first T-Bone. Always Buddy Miller. Yeah. Jay Belarus, Jay's... Uh, yeah, Mark really, Rebo. Yeah, and, and Rebo. Amazing. Yeah. This has always been T-Bone's, like, strong point, you know. Yeah. Um, he knows how to pair Putting the right people. Putting bands together to back yeah, certain right, artists. On yeah. cer- like, what yeah. kind of music's going to get played. and Or, hey, we need this guy to do a overdub, you know, or whatever. We need this style. But he's, like, I don't, I don't know how he does it, you know. But he was responsible for that. And then I think on the second record, there was a bit of, um, you know, just sort of um, the artist chiming in too, like, well, hey, you know, what what about this or what about that? And so some of those choices might have been made too, doing the second record. But it is, you know, from a fidelity standpoint and a, a, a music standpoint, performance standpoint, it was every bit as amazing as that first record. But it will never be the first record no. because – it just came out of nowhere and yeah but um you know t-bone and i when we set out to go mix that record we said we're gonna we know everything we know now we're at our we're our best us we're gonna make the best sounding record we're gonna just do whatever we want take as long as we want and and we both feel like we did our best best work on this new record you know what was um robert like yeah, I'm assuming you got to talk to him a little bit. Oh, I mean, I, yeah, a lot. <laughs> a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, we're chums, I, I guess. I mean, he's a legend. He, you know, you know um, I I don't know if I learned it or I was just that way, but e- even here when I would meet people, I was never particularly starstruck because mm-hmm. we're in a work environment and it just – I never got like that way with anybody, um, but he was like charming and funny and um, likable and yeah, I mean, all uh, he was just a great, great guy. Um, and um, but yeah, I remember like there was a time where we were we were doing one of those songs from the first record that wasn't maybe so, sort of in a you know folk music genre but it was a little more like sort of bluesy or something mm-hmm. and he went out to um do an overdub and started singing this sort of wailing 
hard over the top, and I got hit by it. Let's this is a couple of weeks in. I'm like, that's the dude. Like, oh my god. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, now when we, because we've gone back many times to do videos and other little things. So I feel like I've worked with him a ton. And um, now, like, he will. The first time he ended up moving me from my hotel to his hotel so that he had someone to hang out with at the bar after work. And really? stuff. And yeah, so <laughs> that's pretty cool. And I'll get a call like, "Hey, I'm downstairs in the car." He goes, uh, "He goes, uh, I just got back from breakfast." He goes, "We're going to the record store." He goes, "Be down here in ten minutes." You know, I'm like okay, like run God, downstairs, cool. driving uh, around Nashville, going looking through record bins with, with Robert with Robert Flint. and people are gawking at him. I mean, like he he can't go anywhere without being noticed, I'll and, bet. you know. And he's so charming with everyone. He's he's lovely. He loves to talk to people and um, you know just answer questions and things. And yeah, lovely, lovely guy. You know, did, did he ever reminisce about? Zeppelin days? I tried to make him, and so did the band. I mean, we would ask him all kinds of stuff, you know, or someone would just, like, start picking a little black dog or something <laughs> yeah. to see if he'll go for it, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, one thing I kind of knew, but I never – it was never in the forefront, but um, – in this last record, we were um, we were working up this song, and you know you get an energy going in the studio, and the band starts locking in, and and we were literally waiting for someone to run down and get a harmonica <clears throat> for him in the right key, and I had an amp set up and two mics and everything, and um, he um, was just out there sort of like humming along, and I'm recording, of course, and um, and they finally come running in, and I run out in the booth real quiet, and I hand him this thing. And, man, he just picked that up and just started blowing. Like, I couldn't believe. Like, Oh, so he plays harmonica. Super talented harmonica player. Yeah, I mean, he's great. Yeah. Wow. It, it blew me away. Didn't yeah. Know that. yeah. Zeppelin, that song's a, a bonus track on the new record. Mm. So you can hear yeah? it. Yeah. Oh, I'll check it out. Yeah. I have that CD. Yeah. 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 Well, I yeah. Go to record stores in Nashville with Robert Plant. Yeah. And they knew him there too. They're like, hey, Robert, how's it going? And, oh, okay. you know, and people are coming up to him, like buying a Zeppelin record, like, hey, can you sign my record? And, um, <laughs> I remember the sweetest thing he did at the end of the first record. Um, um, I guess I'd done a great job and he wanted to thank me. And he had been going through, um, I guess with the, the other Zeppelin guys, a lot of old photos that never were published. And I don't know if they were doing stuff with them, but he blew up and gave me a, a framed picture. It's, it's sort of that like seventies faded color looking yeah. kind of vibe. It's, it's about yay big. And it's the four Zeppelin guys coming off their plane on the runway in Hawaii with lays on, and they've got all their multi-tracks under their arms. Really? And they're walking and that's the, the Zozo plane yeah. with the logo. And it's just like, wow. Oh, it's like one of my prized possessions. That's so There's cool. another goosebump moment for me. Yeah. Like, just like to have something like that. Is just you know what so I've cool. always been searching for is pictures of them here in the studio. Yeah. Never been able to yeah. find one. And you know, the opportunities I've had to, you know, when I think of... Um, uh, Eddie Kramer or somebody who's like a right. legitimate photographer around. and stuff yeah. that's taken on like the, the, the chances I've had to take pictures of people in the studio, but I'd never dared like, you know, I don't want to be that guy or maybe it would be, you know, they would be grateful, but I yeah, never, I mean, that's what we didn't do here either. Yeah. yeah. Because they're working and that's maybe yeah. intrusive and it's a, that's I a never tough, did it tough without line. 
asking. Yeah. And that and those, even then, it's the, not you know, the picture walls at, at the yeah, sound factory. Right, and that was right. always with permission. Would you yeah. like to be yeah. on the wall? Yeah. Can we take a picture of you? And it's with usually some of the them staff standing around you with, with you or yeah. what? Or a couple of the guys from your band and be right. on, the, on our picture wall. Yeah, ninety percent of the time they go, I would be honored. Yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. that that was really special to have that there. So. Yeah, yeah, really special. Yeah. yeah, I never, I never did that, but yeah, I would love to see pictures of them. We're here. gonna find it. We've <clears throat> kind of got it cornered at one point. Uh, you think with... there are pictures that are? Well, you know, they were here. Um, they were working on Zeppelin Four. Right, and it was right. fairly well completed, from what I understand. <clears throat> mm-hmm. They did several mixes here, which uh, they released it several years ago. The, they did uh, the they mixed the, the sunset, whole album, right? Yeah, they mi- yeah. yeah the Sunset Sound mix. Yeah, and you know, the, like before they went back with I think Eddie Kramer in New York and yeah. remixed it, right? Or at Olympic or wherever it was. But um, yeah. they were calling all these musicians in town to come down here and listen to this. You know, Stairway to Heaven and... You know, oh, like a listen back. A little kind of, listen party, what, wow. getting their feedback. And wow. people, will, the stories I heard where people were just blown away. I'm sure. You know, yeah. when the levee breaks, which did make the original record. Yeah, that is the mix that's... Yeah. That was in Studio 2. Yeah. yeah. But... Uh, that you, was in here. So that was... That was Spectra the... Sonics? That was the Sound Techniques. Sound board. Techniques. Yeah, yeah. The, the English, one of the wow. first English consoles in America. I watched that whole nerdy episode with my mouth open i've loved hearing about all that stuff yeah about that i mean that's with danny white yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah amazing but uh so you know with all these people coming down you know oh, I, had, yeah. I had somebody heard, i heard Jimi hendrix came down for that wow and so you know that they oh. took, took some pictures yeah. hey let's get a picture right right so of somewhere out yeah, there yeah yeah there's some Should pictures call eddie maybe he knows. you know of <laughs> yeah that well, that was really... Andy Johns. Oh, right. Yeah. Who was mixing that at okay. the time. So, you know, Andy's not with us anymore. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. Somewhere there out there. Yeah. They'll if you're listening. Out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, um, you know, can ask, really, the the people I know from his camp, Nicola, yeah. his his manager. Because um, they were here for a couple weeks, I think. goes through a lot of all the old stuff. I'll see if they possibly have any... Photos of oh, sunset that'd be sound. Great. Yeah, that would yeah. be incredible for us. Yeah, yeah, I it's, definitely. It's like that missing link out. we don't have. Yeah, yeah, and that's a biggie. Yeah. That's, a, that's a biggie. That was wow. Brian Kehue. Um, yeah, who was on that? Right, right, right. Us and Danny White. That's right. Yeah, Brian. I forgot his name. He's right. so instrumental in everything Van Halen, but everything yeah. musically. Knowledgeable yeah. guy. Fascinating yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Loved hearing about that board because. Even working here all the time, I never knew about that board. Yeah, it was kind of a lost piece of our history. Yeah. Until like Danny White came around and resurrected the company. You know, I was pretty young back then. And I always knew we had this English board that my dad had brought in from England. First one in America. And your first board that wasn't built. First board that wasn't built by us. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And some pretty iconic records were done on that that board while it was I here and it wasn't here that long like six years i think something like that from what everyone said on that episode like that was a board to drive if you ever have a chance yeah you know? sounds like a good one yeah so the bushnell came after that after that yeah okay the, uh the clone to the studio one board came after right that. 
Right. And um, I think the only reason we got rid of it is there were some parts issues just getting, you know, it was an English board. Yeah. You couldn't get the parts. <clears throat> right, and, right. So it was a maintenance thing. But yeah. it's never, you know, it was always a good sounding board for yeah. what everybody said. Plus there had to be a lot of flexibility to have a board that was similar to one where if you yeah. had to jump rooms, it, you kind of it just sounded plug the it same. in and yeah. you could kind of keep going. Yeah, that time when we had three boards that were all the same, yeah. you could kind of move around, and yeah. especially if you were overdubbing or mixing. No learning curve moving yeah. from yeah. room to room. Now, we had this Demidio by the time I got here, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I don't remember a board. Bef- the Demidio was that in one. three. That, that went in there in like 76, 77. <clears throat> so that was there yeah. when you were. And then I remember the AMEC board that oh, came did? in. I do. <laughs> I was here during that time. Yeah. yeah. Was, yeah. Which, I mean, I, from just what I read and hear, like, people love the sound of that console. It, it didn't sound big, bad. We just had some, you know, again, some technical issues. Technical issues. Yeah. I think the yeah. board got a little rushed <laughs> yeah. when it was built yeah. and it wasn't checked out thoroughly. Yeah. Right. Funny how everybody cringes kind of. Here at sunset, when you yeah. say AMEC board, should I? We can edit that out. There we was, don't have to mention uh, it. <laughs> well, the first, the, one of the first sessions we had was this huge, like string session with Al Schmidt. Oh, and he was raring to get in there. He's like, "Oh yeah, I want to use this new board. It's got to be great if Sunset put it in." Yeah, the thing goes down. Oh, with all these like thirty musicians out here literally goes down. Goes down. Whoa, and it took oh. hours to get back up. Oh. I, I remember we had to pay for the musicians. <sighs> Because I, I, you know, I felt so bad, and he was. Wow. And then, you know, Ugh. what did that do to him? That kind of soured him. Yeah. <laughs> on the whole deal. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But they they make a a, a Amec uh, ninety ninety nine. Yeah. Ours was the ninety eight, right? It's the Amec APC one thousand. It's you know it's it's actually up for sale again. Someone came to me and said, "Is that is what this we had? It was a, it was an APC APC one thousand. only they only built a few of them. Yeah, and it had okay. the Massenburg automation. Uh, that's kind of why I yeah. got York had one. Green Street had yeah. one, but that's sort of what got me motivated on it. I got a call from you know yeah. we had Massenburg automation back then. I loved the remember that GML the it, GML so and easy. that was before flying faders. There was NECAM, which we originally had. Which I was, remember NECAM. Remember that." I used to have to format the big the floppy disks and things like a platter. And I remember engineers picking up that little wood box with the like 1950s keyboard and throwing it across the room and stuff. (laughs) Necam was this horrible, and GML was so easy to use. It worked if you knew the commands. It was just like zing, zing, zing. So Um, we get the you know we get GML and then we're kind of looking for a board because we're outgrowing the Studio Two board. Yeah, channels. Right. You know they're locking dual machines. Yeah. So um, somehow George Massenburg hears I'm looking for a board. He calls me up and he goes, "Oh, he goes, you love my automation system, right?" I'm like, "Oh God, George, yeah, of course we love it. We love your products." Yeah. He goes, "Well, I just signed this deal with this company." To put my automation system in their boards. And I'm like, really? Who's that? And he goes, Amic. And I go, what's oh. Amic? So the GML was built into the console. Yes. Oh. It was licensed by GML. Wow. I didn't know and that. And that's yeah. kind of what put us over the edge on buying the board. Yeah. We were like, they were yeah. they custom integrated. Integrated that yeah. into the board. And then they custom put our mic pre's in the first oh. like see, I didn't know that. Forty eight channels wow. of that board. 
Yeah. We had the Sunset Sound mic pre in that board. Also, they, didn't they huh. do the wiring to your specifications yep. instead and of we using did, the wiring? We used the, all Mogami the, the type cabling. Of wire that they right. Were, I mean, yeah. we spent a fortune yeah. on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, George customizing it. Bender Crazy. and David Glover flew to England to. That, yep, I remember to, that part. So I was still the runner. Maybe that's why I didn't know a lot about that board because yeah. I was probably not getting time in the room but yet. See, that also yeah, took, took them from 32 channels to 64 which channels. Which is huge. Which was a big yeah. deal. Big deal. Yeah. Yeah, like you say, when they're locking two yeah. machines together and. I think it had inline monitoring too, yeah. you know. So. Right. So you could double a, down at mixing. Huge and console. then eventually Crazy. at some point, they. Uh, Rupert Neve got involved with yep. the console because they hired, they hired the Rupert, input module. They hired oh. Rupert. Wow! And Rupert came here several times to try and help us with the board, even though it wasn't his problem and it, so it really was wasn't his customized. design. Pretty much, yeah. And um, wow. so he came in and huh. with the staff from England to try and correct some of the problems, the logic problems right. and stuff. So at some point, you got this board working. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I don't mean no, taking over the interview. It's so, a Paul, <laughs> um, so you must have got all the problems worked out. We and, did mostly. And it was obviously, at that point, a, a custom great-sounding board of that. So what prompted the move to bail on that at some point and replace it with the, the vintage? So, unit? you know, I'd had the board. We'd have our... Our trials and tribulations in the beginning <clears> with it. And that was kind of – had been smoothed out. So now we're going into the early 90s. And uh, everybody in town is either going to an SSL oh. or a Neve. Oh. And, and Neves are becoming popular, and we're losing business to Neves. Okay. You know, like Neve uh, – Makes sense. I guess they were uh, 88 hours. I don't, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, probably. Uh, so – I'm like, you know, we never had a vintage Neve. And I, I said, yeah, I feel like we need to have that as part of our arsenal. And that's when I started looking at, at Neves. Great and, move, uh, great move. Wow. I remember we got uh, the Hoob, uh, Entwistle was selling the Neve. And I remember that they shipped over a couple modules so I could look at them. But it wasn't that big a board, you know. It was only like. 32 channels, yeah. 36. It wasn't enough. I'm like, eh, that's no good. Yeah. So I got wind of this board up in Canada, this uh, 8088, which is a large frame, 80, you know, 8068, yeah. which was a factory built 48 channels, which is yeah. unheard of. It's the biggest board they ever built yeah. at the factory. Right. So I went up there, saw it, made a deal, and brought it back. And that's, I just yeah. thought it was a better fit for Sunset because, you know, we were vintage and yeah. people, Kept the, us in the, the discreet world. Discreet yeah. world. The Amic yeah. was a bit of an oddball. Not that it didn't work well, but yeah. But this could actually in, people in lost working. interest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But people could, could actually come in just because that board's in there. Now, too, yeah, you know? and that, now we had the Neve flavor. Yeah, for which to which me we is never like had. genius yeah. move because yeah. like yeah. So it, it was a good That's change. Amazing board. But I I remember and tell me if i'm wrong maybe i remember the amec coming or maybe i remember this coming cuz i was here with both yeah, i remember so the amec yeah we opened the wall so the amec both times yeah, okay so, the, so both times both times okay. yeah that's how we i remember it. that day you got to bring it in off of sunset yeah. boulevard it was crazy yeah. i'm like so that, you're going to do what cut the wall <laughs> yeah that was like 95 yeah right around 95 yeah. that came yeah. in okay yep Must and so right also 
interesting about <laughs> that board. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, what's you know where where this board you know, was originally commissioned for? No. It was built in England, and it was commissioned. The, its first home was Rumbo. Oh, in the valley, in the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. Wait, so before Canada, this was. So what happened was God. They had a uh, big board. Captain and Tennille custom ordered that board, and wow. it was at Rumbo. And then, uh, oh, sorry. The uh, you know they had it for like only like three years, something like that. And then they came out with that Neve. I, I want to say the VR. The VR. Yeah, the VR. V or yeah, the V. And so the v and Neve the got a hold of them and said, "Well, you got to get the new Neve," and sold them a bill of goods. So they traded that in for the V, and then they offed it to the Canadian Broadcasting Company and the uh, Canadian up Broadcasting. In yeah, and it sat up there for like. I don't know, ten years or something. Probably and then a broker in a TV studio. Yeah, they, where they probably they didn't use six it. faders. No, they didn't use it much yeah. at all. Yeah. So it was so it was in good shape. Good shape. Wasn't beat up. No one's spilling beer on it. No. Or, yeah. Nope. No smoking. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then or it's candles. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't allow candles. Yeah, anymore. I was here yeah. for that episode too. So uh, yeah, so full circle. So it wow. came back. Crazy. Literally a few miles from where it was commissioned originally. That's wild. That's yeah. wild. Appetite for Destruction was mixed on that board. At Crazy. When it was obviously a rumble. Is that right? Oh, over there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's a man. That's a heck of a board for like an artist to buy for. That was like their personal studio at the time, or yeah, they were. They like, made a go of it. Was it, Rumbo there? Rumbo was. Open to the public, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But so wh- why did Captain and Tennille own this studio then? I think for their own work, and then they... They could rent it out. Then they could rent it out, too. Yeah. So they could... Right. Phil gave me the brochure oh. on the um, christening of that board. Wow. And, you know, for Rumbo. It's pretty cool. I have it upstairs. Crazy, yeah. And then yeah. they opened up... They had two additional rooms, uh, a Studio B and a Studio C, and, and the huh. extra rooms uh, had tridents. Okay. 80 series. A range? Yeah. Uh, no. ADB. Uh, ADB, yeah. yeah. That was a pretty decent yeah. board. No, no. I, I always liked Ross those Hogarth for some reason. I worked out there a lot know. in those Trident rooms. <clears throat> Who did? Went Ross when he was coming up. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hogarth. Wow. Oh, yeah, Hogarth. Yeah. yeah, Hogarth was in here, and he goes, this board sure looks familiar to me. <laughs> and then yeah. I told him the story, and he goes, I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that guy. He's, yeah. he's so great. Yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. Rumbo. <laughs> Let's yeah. each ask Mike one more question, and then we'll let you get on your way. Cause oh, do I have to? No, we can stay here all day. <laughs> I'm having so much fun. I, I personally <clears throat> just would love to hear anything that you can mention about Inside Lewin Davis which is a film by the Coen huh. brothers yeah. that you mm. and T-Bone did. It's mm-hmm. tremendous. The cinematography one on it is just one of the most yeah. beautiful, groundbreaking things I've ever yeah. seen. But Oscar Isaac is the lead character. Is he ever? And yeah. he's a fabulous musician yeah. and vocalist yeah. without yep. being on camera. Yep. What was the process of Well, um, I'll tell you getting what. into that film? <clears throat> um, I'll start... Down one road, and then I'll bring you back to reality. But um, so we pre-recorded all that music for that, um, and you know, like we would normally do, do all the pre-records, and then potentially they'll shoot to those pre-records and lip sync. Uh, a lot of times they'll often also do live takes, you know, in case something amazing happens. Um, so um, 
Peter Curlin, who we'd worked with on many Coen Brothers movies before that, uh, was the location recordist. Really great guy. He and I talked about um, the possibility of Oscar doing live takes on the set. So with all the pre-records and all the work we did on it, um, once we figured out like how best to capture him live on the set, which I wasn't there, so often I am, but for that I wasn't. But Oscar went out and threw down and sang and performed all that stuff live on camera. Wow. Yeah, recorded by Peter and then mixed by me. And wow. like, what a mofo to be like on camera and to get, yeah. Chill number three. Hmm. Boy, wow. the hair in my arm stands up quite a bit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing, I'm, I'm so blessed to be involved with all this. That's crazy. That's crazy. But yeah, Oscar, wow, amazing guy. And Compelling. He's, uh, yeah. Marcus Mumford was involved in that too, wasn't he? Uh, Fare thee well, they did. Yeah, there. right. That's true. Yeah, Marcus Mumford, who we've worked with on a few different things, the basement tapes being one of them. Um, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. So you did all the pre-records, and then Oscar Isaac actually just sang it live. Yeah, and then I mixed it. We we might have done a few little embellishments here and there, you know, for the soundtrack, but but all the performances, yeah, were live. Yeah. Have you seen that film? <clears throat> I oh, think yeah. I have. Pretty yeah. great. Uh -huh. Yeah. Have to oh, John that. Goodman is yeah. in it. And, yeah. yeah. It was excellent. Yeah, yeah great. Any, I mean, anything the Coen Brothers yeah. do is like crazy. No, we're, good. we're fans Brilliant. in our house. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Two-part question, and then I'll yeah, be done. Sure. What, what hey, do you I'll... enjoy doing more, films or... I mean, no. uh, artists or soundtracks? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely music, live band, great. Yep. I could elaborate, but it's just where my heart is. No, and I'm, I'm, I thought that would be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I love making albums. I really do. Bill McConnell, one question <laughs> for Mr. Persanti to you close. You can ask as many as you Oh, I... <laughs> Uh, Where's that twenty dollars you owe me? Yeah, I didn't really prepare a, a question. I, There's got to be some yeah. sunset sound fun thing that you yeah. could mention. I can't think of anything offhand. Yeah, Mr. You, Camerata, you hit me up. Earlier. I've got a question. No. Yeah. Please. So tell us what you're doing now, if you can. Uh, what have you been working on? Um, uh, project wise, yeah. Um, wow. Well, I've been doing a lot of mixing. Um, um, been, I worked on Sammy Miller big band record, which was really fun to just like go off on my own on the the new Neve board in our Studio Z room. <clears throat> Some mixing in there. I uh, just did a Paula Cole record. Uh, just did a um, record with this um, this really talented Latin girl named Gabby Moreno. I know uh, her very well. She was just oh. in here singing on Joe Bonamassa's uh, yeah, background. Yeah, I just thing. saw her the other day, and she told me that. Yeah, I actually yeah. she opened up for David Gray one. Oh, her yeah. Downtown. She's awesome, right? Yeah, so cool. Man, um, singer, acoustic guitarist. Yeah, everything else. Um, just did a David Poe record. Um, so these are all things that I've uh, been just kind of doing on my own. A lot of mixing stuff. And I, I did both of those records top to bottom, the Gabby and the Paula Cole. So we got that working. Um, I do have one <laughs> big thing. When you ask me what I've been up to lately, yeah. I don't know if you're hinting at this or not, but... Last March, um, well, I'll start with T-Bone and I have been working on this technology for about 10 years. Oh, yeah. We're oh. scientists. I s is and, this about uh, the acetate? Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, I saw some press so, on that. This is an idea T-Bone had a long time ago. And um, so we, um, we basically realized that there is the technology out there to um, – 
coat an acetate disc with something similar to what would be on your iPhone glass to keep it from shattering, make it tough and scratch resistant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Similar technologies on the space station to protect some of the sensitive parts from the sun. It's, It's called a deposition. It's a spray coating that's like you know, atoms thick, basically. Okay. And um, so he got interested in this idea um, for like, sort of like, what could we do with the best sounding analog format there is? And everyone we ever talked to agreed and acetate is it. But that, just to interject, acetate degradates. It does. As you play it. It does. Correct? Right. Yes. So again, I mean, like, we've been doing this a long time, like very primitive stuff um you know in the beginning to very high tech in the end so um yeah and acetate is made out of nitrocellulose put on a a aluminum platter Mm -hmm. it's very very flat and it's very soft it's it's maybe like um nail polish or something once it dries yeah and that gets etched in uh from a mastering engineer and it's what's made to go and make molds to press vinyl records. So, um, and you can listen to them, but they start degrading quite rapidly and they will continue to degrade and be horrible sounding uh, in not too many plays. Um, But again, you know, T-Bone said, this is the best analog format there is. It's better than tape, it's better than vinyl, it's better than anything. Mm -hmm. So what can we do? So we started poking around and years and years later, we actually developed something that seemed to be working. And I did a lot of the testing on these things uh, after we get them coded, um, listening for sonic quality, um, sort of, um, you know, where we wanted it to be invisible. And then there was like, um, you know, crackle factor, uh, surface noise to deal with. And we started getting this thing really, really dialed in and decided like we should like make a record, you know, let's, let's do something like this. So um, last March I was um, <coughs> called by um, T-Bone to go record Bob Dylan. And I said, cool. And so it was a three-day session. And um, we did it, like, in a little small area of a big, giant warehouse in an undisclosed location. And um, <laughs> and um, I did it, like, largely on two or three microphones, the whole band. Oh, wow. Um, like I, old school. I, yeah, I literally mixed the musicians around the microphone. Uh, I was in another little side office room with a pair of headphones and a BCM-10. And, like, the acoustic guitar is not loud enough. I go and shove his chair in or the electric's too loud. I go and turn the guy's amp down. And so I did it that way. So um, needless to say, we recorded five songs with Bob. And um, But then I ended up, this three-day session, I ended up being there for three months. (laughs) Wow. Because Bob got this idea to do a video. Um, and so he did a video that took us three months to record all the music the and shoot it. And so I was there a very, very Just long an time. entire record? Uh, it's a whole film. Um, yeah. Multiple, multiple Shadow songs. Kingdom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it ends up being a, a nightclub performance, basically, in sort of a surreal uh, film noir format, I would mm. say. Um, you can look it up and find is it. Is it coming out? Or <clears throat> it's, is it? it's out. It, it is it out. It was initially a pay-per-view. You could only see it on pay-per-view, but I'm sure someone's leaked it somewhere by now, or maybe you could buy it or something. But so anyway, the ionic thing was so important is, you know, we took one song and we started like 
you know, doing different formulations of our um, technology, different thicknesses, different, um, we're using different kinds of minerals, um, you know, sapphire, ruby, um, graphite, trying all these different formulations, got something really dialed in, then started going for longevity. And I have a, a, a test engineer that we hired to work um, alongside of me under my direction to do stress testing. And so we have acetates that sound amazing, the, 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 the coating you can't hear, and we've played them up to like 2,000 times. Wow. No wear and tear, no additional noise. So is this something <clears throat> that could be mass marketed for a reasonable um, amount of money? I wouldn't say mass because they are made one at a time by hand, by you know carving oh. that acetate, and then they all go out to be coated. But it's certainly something that limited release things could be done on. Um, you know, um, so that's, that's maybe – part of the um with incredible fidelity incredible fidelity like you can't believe yeah like as good as and you play it on a a phonograph yeah any record player but they have to be cut on a lathe yeah yeah so that's why you can't really mass produce it yeah so everyone has to be cut individually like a almost like a direct disc type yeah 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 but you could put anything on an acetate and you could certainly hire a mastering guy or a team of mastering guys they say hey cut a hundred of these and we'll code them and sell them or whatever i don't know where it's going to go but we have a company now formed around this um that's technology um so um so we the thing we we made we made one of one of one of the songs from bob and we decided to make a presentation to the public which we did in la and then in new york and then I just recently got back from London. Um, I I got sent there sort of on my own with my test engineer. T-Bone couldn't go yeah. and do the London trip. So And that required me being at, uh, because we we're going to auction this disc off, um, I was literally set up with my own um, exhibit in, in Christie's auction house in the middle of London. And I wow. was a DJ <laughs> wow. for like 10 days. And you were playing that. For like hoity-toity high-end client. The thing is, you know, um, you know, T-Bone is is very art conscious, very benevolent to the um, you know music uh, society, and the, like a lot of the reason behind this is to you know a achieve the ultimate you know best sound you can out of mm-hmm. something, and b to to sort of. Um, be able to have artists explore this format to revalue their own music where they've been, you know, predicated through the, the vendors and the streaming services and the public, what they can charge for their music. They can now take something, maybe they want to come to us and make some of these discs or whatever, and, and they can sort of set their own value on what it's worth and, you know, do what well, they want. Well, you know, want. it also sounds like... <clears throat> and it's a new format. This, this um, is something that can <clears throat> endure time. In a, a preservation so. situation, exactly. Where in a thousand years from now, right. it's not going to be like a hard drive or something that's which is tape. Yeah, or Pro gonna, Tool session. With, we'll open one of those up in twenty with years. The, this yeah. coating can it still be used as the mold, um, or is that, does that it, keep it from being it, usable it, in that? It's applied after the acetate's cut. Yeah. So after the acetate's cut and degassed, we take it to a, a barometric chamber. It's right. sort of a like a clean room situation with a pressured chamber. Yeah. And the discs get mounted in there in a certain way, and then the the all the formulas plugged into the computer, like what the 
depositions made of, how long it goes in there, what the thickness is, mm -hmm. and they basically aerosol the thing. Yeah. And then it dries yeah. for a period of time and comes out. And then it's like, you know, we have a lot of testing to do. Uh, you know, what happens when I drop my car keys on it or, you know, set it in the sun for three hours. But as far as play testing, we've done, you know, like I said, yeah. like 2,000 plays. It's pretty tough, pretty yeah. tough stuff. How wow. much did that go for? How much did that go for at Christmas? Well, after my 10-day DJ stint, which was just so surreal. I mean, you can imagine. Is it Christie's? Yeah, I'm at Christie's, like in my little coat with my white gloves. And <laughs> yeah. I got these, like, art people coming. And about midway through, our Christie's rep, who was handling all the media that was coming through to shoot film and do interviews, um, the poor guy went down with COVID. I found out mm. one morning. Oh. I said, uh. And so then it was just me in there, like, trying to – talk to the public and getting interviewed which you see i'm not necessarily that comfortable with but um you're doing a fine uh anyway um so yeah um after 10 days of that we um you know this thing was protected in ways you can't believe um two armed security guards in a, like a lock case and um wow. whenever we transported i had to travel with these guys in the black <laughs> cab we went to a hi-fi <laughs> shop one night and like my guy got out um, um, uh, and uh, I handed him the disc and I stepped out and we were like walking in. We got pictures of us walking into this hi-fi shop. And so anyway, at the end of the 10 days of um, presentations, which got really busy because the BBC broke a story about day three or four and just hordes of like Dylan fans and music fans and people were lined up in the hallway waiting to come and talk to me and listen oh, to wow. them because I, I had a whole like couple hundred thousand dollar Macintosh set up with, a, um, you know, some really amazing headphones. And so I had to like play it for people over and over and over again. Yeah. And so at the end of this, um, I handed it off to the security guys. They took it upstairs to the auction room. And I went and sat in the auction. <laughs> I was like, what am I doing here? And um, 1.8 million American dollars <laughs> it sold for. Incredible. Yeah. Shut I mean, you know, T-Bone's got a magic touch. Paul you know, just all said that the other day. Everything he touches just I know. works. Yeah. He's, he's brilliant. It's amazing. It's amazing. Is, do you attest that to the marijuana that he likes to smoke? I, I can't comment on that one way or the other. Um, I have no knowledge of that situation. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but uh, if you if anyone knew him as I do, which a lot of people do, he, he has such a pure heart about what he's doing. It's always um, there, there's never a, um, you know his ego is not involved. It's not ever just about money or anything. He just like wants to make the best art he can make. That's really what drives him. That's amazing. A hundred percent. Yeah. So maybe that has something to do with why he's blessed so so well. You know. There was a, a tremendous. <clears throat> Uh, series that came out, I believe it was on HBO called True Detective with yep. Matthew McConaughey, Woody Harrelson. We did that, yeah. You did that as well. Yeah. Now, there was a club I used to, I still go to. It's called Hotel Vegas in Austin. I'll Texas. just say, in case he watches this, Jason Wormer was actually the main engineer. I've, I was a little on the sideline on that, doing other things. But, okay, great. But he was he was an engineer we brought on. And, and Sam was involved with that, wasn't she? Uh, she might have had a song or something. Because we did something one. in here for that. Yeah, it's possible. Really? She I came in. Yeah, yeah, she came in to, to work. So on I that. again was on the periphery of that show. Yeah, um, but done in our camp, you know. Oh, okay. Um, but, but there is a band from Austin, Texas called the Black Angels. Mm. 
and they would play in this club called Hotel Vegas. They still do. Huh. In South Austin. Well, T-Bone or whoever was the musical director on that, I mean, I would imagine it was him, put that band oh. as the opening song yeah. as yeah. in season one. Yeah. And then they played it in episode four, too, in yeah. the most pivotal part. The band blows up. He does that. And, I mean, it was so authentic to Austin 1. And yeah. mean, everybody that had been to Austin knows this band. It was kind of like a Gary Clark yeah. Jr. type thing. But do you have any remembrance of why he or how he even came across he them? He does that. Um, you know, he knows so many people. And sometimes something will get sent to him. Or he just goes out and scours. And he listens to all kinds of things all the time. Wow. And he'll find something he locks onto. <laughs> And he especially loves working with the young unknown band if he thinks they're great. Yep. And he'll and he's done that many times in films and TV shows and things. Yeah, and, he's so authentic to and, wherever yeah, he is. Also, he finds something he knows is right, and he'll just go after it. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I'm happy wow. for the band. Yeah, it's a great, great break. Yeah, I mean they really were just fantastic. playing in a little fifty-person club, and now yeah. it's like you're on this major television show. The whole right. thing about that series was tremendous. And yeah. The two guys, you know, being from Texas, Matthew and. Woody. Yeah. Have you seen that, Phil or Paul? Yeah. yeah. I've seen an episode. Yeah. Yeah. Second mm -hmm. season. It's yeah. pretty dark. That, yeah. The first one was killer. <laughs> the first season was, was the best, but they yeah. were all good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And watching the third season, I, w I was watching the after the first episode, watching the credits and, oh, look, Zach Dawes. Yeah. Fifth Dawes. Yeah. Wow. Right. So people mm -hmm. that I. Yeah. You know, grew up with and uh, yeah. watch grow up for yeah. Zach. It grew up, you know, in a junior high, high love school. Love Zach with, and love Biff. Biff. <laughs> yeah. So I was really surprised. I didn't know they were involved in that. Yeah. But it was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Zach's been around in T Bone World for a yeah, while. Yeah. He was, he yeah. was interning for us one summer and he left early because, uh, because T Bone offered him uh, a oh. position to come over and be. Yeah. Kind of like the intern at yeah. the house. Yeah. yeah. So he goes, look, T-Bone called me, said offering me this, yeah. you know, something that Carla from oh, right. yeah. had set up, you yeah. know. And Carla Azor. How, is it okay if I if I leave early and He's not finish this? Guy. And I go, absolutely. Yeah. Like, that's a great opportunity yeah. to go. Yeah, you know, so. and he's done well being around the camp, oh, yeah. I think. Yeah, he's yeah. Done, done really well for himself, yeah. What was that? My uh, my question. Yeah. Okay. Ah, okay. See, and you filled in. Look at how that <laughs> works. Full circle. See, and I ended up around. finishing it off. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very there good. We go. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. But, yeah, I forgot Zach was over there. Yeah. 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 Amazing. No, I think what I was going to ask you about was you had. I remember talking to you a, a long time ago, and and this was one of your first trips to to Nashville, and you were telling me you learned so much. Uh, going and recording there and learning yeah. all these techniques, not just from engineers, but from the musicians yeah. who have been doing it for so long that right. they can give you tips on engineering. Oh, man. Mic placement, and this is the best mic for this amp or this guitar and man. things like that. And, and, then, yeah. and then going and doing yeah. Raising Sand there and yeah. uh, with, with that cast of... Uh, it's of another people that must have been really special. So Nashville's another world where like there's so many serious cats there in yeah. all aspects of things, and 
you know, I, I could tell stories. I don't want to drag the interview out if we're wrapping up. But, Maybe uh, volume um, two. Yeah, volume two. But <laughs> I have some amazing <laughs> stories about doing Oh Brother because I, yeah. I, not only had I never worked on a film before doing that, I'd never recorded a bluegrass band in my life, yeah. you know, which – goes into what you're saying about just learning stuff by going oh, so down So you get there. a whole new education on, yeah. on on recording acoustic instruments. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And a huge appreciation of ribbon mics and things yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Met a lot of good people down there. And mm-hmm. yeah, really great, great. All right. Yep. Well, this is tremendous. Uh, this is the 60-year anniversary of the studio. I know. Um, yeah. For being a public studio. and Amazing. The, engineers the producers the runners staff that worked over those six decades you know coming back in here to share stories so it's documented forever it's better than writing a book it's better than doing a a series i mean we can go on forever and ever because there's just endless stories i saw the first well the first thing i think i noticed was you were saying with the console thing i was like oh my god this is great and there's all this amazing information about the studio and and then there was the one where um you did an interview just about the studio itself and i was just hooked from there i was like this is great thank you so glad you guys are doing this it's important it is it's very important yeah it's uh it's knowledge that's evaporating and you must have just gone back and done such digging since you started the series right to figure out yeah you know it kind of it it kind of has a life of its own, you know. Mm-hmm. We we start to find things out, and yeah, that we'd forgotten. And yeah, then we kind of dig into it. And well, it was right. just about Van Halen originally because yeah. Eddie passed away. Yeah. That's kind of right. what sparked it. So yeah. is that really what the imp- impetus? Yeah. Of, of what? Yeah. Wow, amazing. And Juizel Zappo was kind of helping out. Yeah, for a minute too. But he's like was, on it, man. My God, I was listening to him. It was like, Whoa. yeah, he's crazy. He's a great, great guy too. But the Van Halen stuff, and then I was like, yeah. why don't we just do this on every? It's room? legendary, yeah. yeah. And we were up in the tape vault looking at things, and there's just so many, every God. this place has history on it. And um, it's so original God, and authentic. If you could go there, um, like some of the Disney stuff. Oh exactly. yeah, um, uh, 2D's trumpets, 2D's trombones. Come on, yeah. I know. Well, I was so glad <laughs> to get those albums when I worked here. It was like presented to me, and I played the crap out of those. I love horn music. And something served me well that whoever knew, you know, um, just knowing how to record horns. You didn't work here in my area anyway and not know how to record a horn section. Like, that was, like, mandatory. That's cool. That's so, what Josh said. And that's Bruce Botnick. Yeah. trombone record. Yeah. He wow. engineered those? Yeah, he engineered yeah. He engineered the trombone record. I don't think he engineered the, the trumpets. Uh, the trumpet record. Yeah. And also finding the pictures you know, I, yeah. I'm just like a hawk looking for these pictures yeah. online, but also from people and like the yeah. stuff Paul has in storage or, you know, 2D's in Studio One conducting an orchestra in 1961. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And sharing is that, that with online? everybody. Is that online? Some of it is. You yeah. know, I'm on our Instagram if yeah. you follow Instagram. We're doing a Louis Armstrong record you can... in here with him. <laughs> Amazing. For Disney. Wow. That's One of those cool. pictures is actually... They made a copy and it's hanging in the traffic office. Oh, if you want to take a look? I do. On the way out, I know? do. Yeah, yeah, yep. Absolutely. Tootie, man. <laughs> well, yeah. If it wasn't for him, yeah, there wouldn't be this. And, he and you've great, kept it going man. though. You don't give yourself enough credit. Yeah, it's that's, 2022. That's you could have sold this place or done something else with it in 1993 yeah. when Mike was here, and it's yeah. still 2022 and. 
Um, that is amazing, Paul, that you it, just – It's like, still going. That's your passion, you know. Yeah. That's, that's why this place is so good. You can't just run a studio like a business and have it have soul and meaning and, you know, do all this great art, you know, without that passion behind well, that. thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, and uh, thank you for coming down and being a part of Sunset Sound. Man, are you kidding? Yeah. I was, I've been, like, afraid to do this for so long because, I don't know, I'm seeing all the stuff and it's like, well, I didn't work with Prince or Van Halen or, like, hmm. What am I going to talk about? Yeah, you only work with Robert primate. Plant. Yeah, but not here, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, Bob, no, it's okay. I wish I did. We, we I'd got have you. to have been a lot older. We, if I, we hope we helped a little yeah. to get you there. I'll try to bring him here. I'll coax him over. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tremendous. He might want to visit. He's going to be here in town next week. Is he? They're doing some shows, yeah. Oh, him and – that's right. He's playing They're the Greek. Tour. He's yeah. playing uh, the Greek. On the 18th. He is. Yeah, and Very I think cool. Santa Barbara maybe before that. Yeah, love that wow. venue. And then I think I'm going to mix some uh, shows that they're recording, they're filming. Oh, they are. Yeah, they're, they're, they're documenting do, the show. They're definitely going to do something. Yeah, so because I've been asked to put some time aside. So nice. But I'll say, hey, while you're in town, let's pop over and see Paul and uh, <laughs> Phil and. You tell me if you remember this room. I'm coming yeah. to work. He every might day gas week, on it, know? honestly. Coming, yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I yeah. <laughs> Boy, you know how I always feel walking through here with Robert, like, hey, check out my buddy Robert, man. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I feel like 60 years. King of the world. King of the, the world. Longest running independent studio, too. You got to. Is that it up a fact? Uh, From a fire. We'll we talk about that. Interesting. Yeah. There's there's a little controversy. Well, well, okay. Fame. Okay. Muscle Shoals. Oh wow! Wow. Okay. I don't buy that. Well, so but same same still in the same family. Is it? Uh, yeah. Huh. And evidently they were. <clears throat> Tootie started this before they did, but this was a private. It, this oh, is the technicality. Commercial is right. that's the longest. Owned by the same family commercial studio, studio. but Tootie uh, incorporated and opened uh, to the public a year after they started. Uh, but Tootie started this first, right. but it wasn't a commercial open to the public. But the studio. longest privately held yes recording studio, as far yeah. as we know, yeah, right. So I well, have to say, oh, go ahead, Valentine too. There's competition in that. In that, if you read their history, so you Valentine. need to a little investigation. But um, mm-hmm. I'm sticking with something. In this town. In this town. <laughs> yeah. We're king. On this block. We're king. <laughs> so now I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Because I know a person who knows a lot of the history and has seen a lot of the things that have happened in this place. And that's this man right here. Uh, so uh, when is the Phil McConnell episode? He's a co-captain from two episodes now with okay. Don Randy of the so Wrecking I've, Crew. I've missed this. But are, are you going to have just a Phil and Paul interview, or have I missed that too? Do I need to study up on my I library? just told Paul we should do another, because the first thing we ever recorded was the, the whole history, history of the studio. Yeah, and I had been see. here one week. I didn't even know what <clears throat> wow. anything was, and now it's like, yeah. I don't even want people to see that. Like, That's let's crazy. Do another one because you're so knowledgeable through all these episodes that <clears throat> in two and a half years I've just been <clears throat> digging through work orders and wow the internet and learning the stories of all these bands and the and engineers. And what were who you hired them. here for to do? Uh, 
marketing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Social media. Right. Well, all big, yeah. important stuff in right. this era. Yeah, for sure. But now I'm actually producing a record for Ozzy Osbourne's daughter in this room. No way. Yeah. For and real. I Yeah. I Serious. That's I'm, amazing. Not in the level of anything that you would do or something. Well, but I, I mean, who's to say? I mean, uh, you know. I have this girl. <laughs> Who knows that, where that'll go? Yeah. Yeah. This girl, Carmen, that works with me, she was in Jeff Beck's band. She's in another band. Wow. She's a tremendous musician yeah. and ranger and producer. Well, that's and, what's about the musicians yeah. and the music, really. What we do is yeah. we, we're a lens, you know. I we mean, team up on things, and it's a good combination. It's because, great. Um, Fantastic. numerous layers of producing, but... Yeah, but we brought uh, huh. a perfect circle in the band. Uh, yeah, that that rhythm section. Yeah. and Carmen obviously played guitar, and wow. she sings. So we've been finding her demos and writing her songs. And very cool. Uh, yeah, it's good. But um, yeah, I just I worked for free for the first couple months just because I was so infatuated. I would too. <laughs> and the story yeah. of Done Paul that. and his father and the bands. And yeah, the diversity too of yeah. Prince to Zeppelin to The Doors to Janis Joplin. To I know. From, and yeah. Disney in the beginning. The Disney work, yeah. Yeah, how that parlayed into, yeah. Places like this need to be protected, investigated, yeah. documented. And, I mean, my whole thing still is doing a documentary doc series yeah. to really explore each decade. Yeah. Each label. But, um, yeah, it's so compelling every There's day. So I, much. There's not one day when you don't come through that gate. And I talked to Nate, the other engineer, about this, where you get excited. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it's just like the Chateau Marmont or the Troubadour or something yeah. like that where it's just yeah it's a historic place the LA sound was done and made in Studio One yeah that Laurel Canyon I mean here and United and other studios but yeah yeah I mean Good Vibrations was cut in Studio One yeah <laughs> Beach Boy, well yeah tremendous. a lot of the Wrecking Crew stuff I mean this is one of their regular stops to do those yeah. records I mean they rotated here that was huge stuff Gold Star and United there Western was a, documentary maybe it was in the wrecking crew documentary yeah. where they show the guys pulling up in the pulling front, the front station loading wagon, in, unloading loading in through the front yeah, door through the front door that's where the console went through yeah yeah <laughs> isn't that crazy yeah but i knew like again when i started here i didn't really i wasn't that interested in production or you know curious about who did what or anything but my first day on the job i remember pulling in first day as a runner <clears throat> and I get out of my car and I'm walking up to the gate and sitting up against the wall, just sitting in the sun with her knees up, is Debbie Harry just sitting there. <laughs> really? It's like, okay, like this is pretty cool. This can be a neat place to work. And then like, yep, it sure was. Yeah, she was just sitting out there in the sun, taking a break. And yeah. So yeah. they were working on whatever record she. Yeah, was. they were in Studio Three. Mike Chapman, I think. Chapman, yeah. And, yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. when we had the we had that tiger come down. Oh uh, yeah. Because we got some pictures oh. of her playing with the tiger. Do you remember that? Tom Petty too. Yeah, I remember that. Tom Petty was here too. I'm pretty sure I got to pet that tiger. Yeah. In fact, wasn't it Ricky's relative? It was some, who, yeah, somebody he was we an animal knew, a handler. Or something. Yeah. Right. I remember the tiger. That was, that was that pretty was crazy. wild. Remember uh, Craig's pot belly pig? Oh, yeah. yeah. Back you remember the that? <laughs> For his birthday, we yeah. got that thing. Lisa got that for He him. was happy as a clown. And the yeah. painting is office pink. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I have a picture oh, of so Craig. Fun. Oh, here it is. That's uh, Craig with Tom Petty holding the tiger. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember this shot. What This might have been on a wall somewhere. Yeah. I, think it, I think it was at yeah, one time. I remember that. Traffic that, yep. office. Yeah. yeah I remember that picture. Under the glass. Oh, on the front desk, man! Yeah, we pulled yeah. all those pictures out. 
last yeah. year. Yeah. I'm telling you, though, you got to pick Phil's brain before he goes anywhere. Before the dementia <laughs> he, Well, he just knows more than he's talking about. I talk with him every day. For, we were, what are we yeah. talking about the other day? Uh, so much stuff the, you've seen. What's the great yeah. record that we love the song See, on? We were talking about it, but I can't remember. That's why. Jackson yeah. Brown. Yeah. Uh, the oh, Pretender. The Jackson Brown stuff, yeah. yeah. The Pretender. And stuff that he didn't know about who played on what. Yeah. Right, and the, the rocket rocket day Johnny is Elton John. Yeah, right. right. On Redneck Friend and wow. a couple other songs. Yeah. Yeah. You're tremendous with knowing all that stuff and about who's on the. Everyone spent time in Phil's office when they were working at the Sound Factory just to get away, and it was just the coolest place to hang out if you got a chance. You know. Nice. Yep. Yep. That's for sure. Well, I think I got to yeah, take a peek. I've overstayed my welcome. <laughs> did you get through everything on your I list? did. I, I took a peek and all the st- Yeah, I, I think everything that I had wanted to talk about came up. And uh, yeah, and then some, which was great. Okay. Last um, question, real quick. Yeah. Adele, yeah. album of the year. Uh, okay. <laughs> yep. Just, just how did you get Is that T-Bone as well? No. Um, uh, Ryan Tedder. Oh, yeah. One Republic. Yeah. I, I met Ryan Zancanella. Uh, we had a room at the village. Um, he was a writer and worked a lot with Ryan, uh, doing stuff. And he wanted my sort of take on the way I would record stuff and do some more acoustic things with their band, including drums. And so I spent a lot of time flying back and forth to Colorado, uh, during the last one Republic record, helping him do things and whatever. And, uh, after that, uh, some time came by where Ryan wanted some help on a Dell song that he was working on. Oh, And so he asked me to come in and uh, help him with that. Okay. And, um, that turned into a Grammy, like most of the Grammys, maybe all the ones I have, I'm done those records from the demos, the tracking, the overdubs, the editing, the mixing, like the whole thing top to bottom. That, that one. one just like yeah, it was you yeah. Know. They bring Ryan Tedder in all over the place. They brought him in here for Michael Bublé. Yeah, him and Greg Wells. He's he's a crazy talented guy. Um, it's just like really musical. Um, great soul, great guy. Um, took great care of me. That's great. Yeah, love Ryan. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mike. It was My pleasure. Fascinating yeah, to speak guys. with you. This is the whole dynamic of the show. I'm and not worthy. I'm not a prime worthy. example of what <laughs> you are. Yes. Oh, man. The Sunset Sound yeah. runner to engineer story. Yeah, yeah. So all you runners out there, remember, just keep working hard and keep learning. Don't give up. But it's those guys, you know, the 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 ones that don't give up or the ones that carry on, yeah. you know, go the extra mile. And, That's and, what keeps perpetuating and, the studio. And if I have any wisdom, you know, as you're coming online and going to maybe get hired, it's about half of your talent. That's what's important. The rest of it is about your personality, your vibe, how comfortable people are with you. You could be the most talented guy in the world and have a jagged vibe and you're not going to get the work, you know? So just, you know, I always be con- Considerate of that, you know. Our runner Faroque is actually an assistant engineer. Uh, he looks like he knows a little bit. Sound on this right now. Yeah, the audio nice. better be good. Yeah, but yeah, a lot of young kids coming up. There's so much competition and so few studios now. So yeah, true. But what a better place to grow up, learn, meet people, learn from the greats. You know, you could you could work at the small studio and be a first engineer in a month, or you could come here and make a career. You know, so. That All right. would be my final parting thoughts. Thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me, you okay. guys. Okay.